I lived in a little town in Maryland, right on the border with Virginia and West Virginia. My town was very old, established in the 1700s. It was originally established right on the banks of the Potomac River. Back in the day, a lot of people drowned whenever the river would flood, so the woods surrounding the river were considered by some to be haunted. Anyway, it was summer break, and being the raging insomniac I was, I always enjoyed summer break, because I could stay up later than normal. This incident, however, took place when I wasn't allowed to be out. On that particular night, I had stayed out late, came home, and then spent a couple of hours tossing and turning, trying to sleep. Finally, around 3 a.m., I gave up, deciding to sneak out and walk around in the woods. I've had my fair share of creepy experiences, but I'd never had any in the woods up to this point, so I had no reason to doubt my safety. So I slipped out the back door, went down the road, across the train tracks, and into the forest. Now, there were lots of reasons why a 15-year-old girl shouldn't be wandering those woods at night. There were junkies that frequented the area, as well as other less-than-tasteful characters. But I was dumb, and also not the type to scare easily. I had my trusty knife in my jacket pocket, as well as my phone for a flashlight, and my iPod, as I loved listening to music. As I walked through the woods, staying off the path, and keeping the hood on my jacket up, I was trying to draw as little attention to myself as possible. No one ever bothered me there. I decided to walk through a part of the woods that I frequented during the day, but I never bothered to explore it at night. There was a tiny clearing there with the foundation of an old building. I always assumed it used to be a house, as well as an old log I liked to sit on. As I entered the area, immediately, it felt off. It felt different compared to the daytime. It was like I wasn't alone. I took one of my earbuds out and cautiously continued forward, more curious than frightened. Whatever else was there with me didn't feel normal, so I thought it might be some kind of animal, something that could be dangerous, but I wanted to see what it was. As I crept toward the edge of the clearing and peeked through the trees, I saw something that made my heart stop. There was a figure. At first I thought it was a person, someone down on all fours, but then I noticed the way it moved. It was slightly jerky in its motion, and its bone formation looked odd. Its legs were long, kind of shaped like a dog's. Its arms were very long too, but human in shape. It had impossibly long claw-like fingers, and its skin was a grayish white. It was terribly skinny. I could see bones protruding through its skin. Yet somehow, despite its appearance, it seemed strong. Like if it got a hold of me, it could snap me in half without issue. It was wandering around the building, around the foundation, like it was looking for something. I saw a backpack lying nearby. It looked like it had been torn to shreds by that thing over there. And with the moonlight filtering through the trees, I could tell it was covered in stains that looked to be blood. I knew 
it hadn't noticed me yet. Its face was looking the other way, and that was fine by me because I did not want it to see me. Whatever it was, it was bad news, obviously, so I slowly began to back away. Then, a slight breeze blew up from behind me. The creature stopped, and it stood stock still for a moment. It appeared to be sniffing the air. I kept backing away, keeping my eyes fixed on it. It slowly began to turn its head towards me, and I got a good look at its face. It almost looked like a person, but its jaw was much more pronounced and looked stronger than a normal human. It had very thin lips and very jagged, sharp, and yet human-like teeth. Its eyes were the worst. They were bigger than those of a man, and they were black, a kind of black that seemed to suck all life and light into it. And it had a crazed look to it. I'm not sure how to describe it, but it had this starved look in its eyes, like it was ready to devour anything within reach. I couldn't scream. I could barely move. The thing then gave this low, guttural growl. It grew louder and higher pitched until it became this inhuman shriek. I'd never heard anything like it before, or since. It pierced my eardrums. That was all I needed to hear. I turned and bolted, heading straight for the path. I was a track and cross-country runner back then. I could be pretty quick when my adrenaline hit, but I didn't look back, because I knew if I did, that thing would catch me. I could hear it crashing around behind me. I could tell by the sound it was on all fours. I was barely staying ahead of it when I burst through the tree line onto the trail. I promptly crashed into someone. It was a man. He had a scraggly brown beard, a red hat, and the distinct smell and appearance of someone who had been living in the outdoors for a while. He began to ask me if I was okay, what was wrong. And then he looked over my shoulder, and all the color drained from his face. I felt a searing pain across my back. I screamed and fell forward. The man screamed too, and the creature turned its attention to him. I took the opportunity to pull myself back to my feet and run. I could hear the man screaming behind me, but I couldn't hear the creature following me. So I just kept going. I refused to look back, and I didn't stop running until I made it the mile and a half back home. I shut the door. I locked it. I ran around the house making sure everything was locked. I ran to my room and I hid under the covers and cried. I wondered what happened to the man and what that creature was. Eventually, I drifted off to sleep. I assume from exhaustion. When I woke the next day, my back felt like it was on fire. I removed my jacket and t-shirt seeing that they'd been ripped clean through with four large claw marks. My phone, knife, and iPod were gone. I guess I lost them while trying to escape. I went to the bathroom and examined my back. I had four deep gashes along my back. They were red and inflamed with dried blood all around the area. I cleaned it off, threw the ruined clothes away, and tried to forget about it. Then I saw the paper a few days later. The police had found a body matching the description of the man I'd run into. 
It said that he had been attacked by a wild dog. He was alive when they found him, but barely. He was rushed to the hospital, and the paper clipping included that he had been treated for an unknown mental disorder as well, and warned parents to keep a close eye on their kids. I can only assume what he might have said to them for them to think that. To this day, I wonder what happened to him after that. I still feel guilty for basically leading the creature to him, and then abandoning him. But something in me knows that if I hadn't crossed paths with him, I wouldn't be alive today. Following that night, and for several years after, I avoided those woods, even during the day, until I eventually moved across the country. I told that story to a few of my friends, many of which laughed it off. I described the creature as a ghoul, because I couldn't think of a better word at the time. Since then, I've heard stories of creatures with similar appearances, and I think I might have come face to face with a wendigo. I obviously can't be completely sure that's what it was, and part of me hopes I never do find out. That ghoul and the screams of the man, the sound of that inhuman growling shriek, all of it still haunts my nightmares, even now, though it's been seven years since it happened. It's not something I'm going to forget. Wendigo of 1995 From Brody E. This story happened to me about 24 years ago, in the late fall of 1995, when I was 13 years old. I'd been at a friend's house till around 10.30pm, and I had set out alone on my way back home. I took my usual shortcut through the woods when I heard a sudden bellowing roar. I dropped my flashlight, spinning around looking in the direction I thought the noise had come from, but I couldn't see a thing. Reassuring myself there was nothing there, I went to grab my flashlight. I bent over to pick it up when I heard a twig snap right in front of me. I jerked my head up and then I saw it. It looked like a deer, but with limbs contorted in a way that made its silhouette look human. I fell over backwards, quickly pulling myself to my feet, and then I ran blindly through the woods. At some point, I crashed into a tree and I blacked out. When I woke up, I was lying on my back, my nose and head throbbing. I could feel blood from my broken nose trickling down my face. I looked at my watch, which read 12.01am, then I scanned my surroundings. I yanked myself to my feet and walked through the woods without a flashlight until sunrise. I then slowly made my way out of the woods and onto the street. I walked to my front door and collapsed from exhaustion. When I woke up, I was in a hospital bed for an apparent broken arm, but I was released the next day. That wraps up my quick, but rather creepy story. I'm not sure what I saw. But now that I have three kids of my own, I always make sure that if they walk home after dark, they have friends or an adult with them. There are things out there, whether you believe the legends or not. So it's better safe than sorry.
My first time camping didn't end well. From Kirsten B. A few years ago, I had some time off from work, so I decided to go camping at a national forest for the first time. This place was a couple of hours away from me and was frequented by many hikers, mountain bikers, and campers. Plus, it was rated five stars on Google Maps. As it was, I grew up in a very large city and rarely went into the countryside, so I never really experienced the natural outdoors or anything woodsy. I decided it was as good a time as any for me to get out and see what camping feels like. I called up my friend Jake, who goes camping a lot, and I asked if I could borrow some of his camping stuff. He's a down-to-earth type of guy who loves going RVing and camping. He tried to introduce me to camping a lot. He asked me to go along with a few of his friends on some trips before, but I was always too busy, and I said no. So, hearing me ask to borrow some of his camping gear, finally, it got him excited, and he quickly said yes. Unfortunately, he was already on a trip and couldn't give me the stuff directly, so I had to go to his apartment and search for it myself. My car full of snacks and water and some other things, I drove out of the city and onto the highway. It took a couple of hours, and there was some traffic along the way, but I finally made it there and pulled into the parking area. The whole place was gorgeous and smelled so fresh, nothing like what you experience in the city. I unloaded whatever I needed from my car and began making my way onto a little trail. This specific area was a camping zone, and anyone could come over and set up their tent here. So I walked for a few minutes and eventually found a flat, uninhabited place not too far from my car. It was just far enough that I felt alone and in the presence of the woods but still close in case of an emergency. There I lay under the trees in the darkness, relaxing in my tent, waiting to fall asleep. For some reason, I couldn't shake the feeling that something or someone was out there watching me, but I considered it normal. I was the nervous type, and this was my first time camping after all. I've never really been afraid of things, but as much as I tried to fall asleep... It felt as if my entire body was ringing an alarm bell, trying to tell me to get out of harm's way. But what danger could there be? Another hour passed, and I was still staring at my smartphone, unable to fall asleep. I tossed and turned, but my anxious feeling never let up, so I decided to unzip the tent and go outside to stretch. The woods around me were quiet, and nothing seemed to flood. Clearly, it was jitters from being alone in the woods for the first time, like I said. And I even tried some breathing exercises that I've seen on the internet. But time went on, and I still could not shake the feeling. I decided enough was enough. Maybe I could get some sleep in my car for the night. I left most of my stuff in the tent, except for some essentials, and I started to walk onto the trail and back to my car. I made it twenty feet or so, when I suddenly heard the audible sound of a dry branch snapping. It came from about fifty feet to my left. Something heavy clearly just stepped on a piece of dry wood, which meant I was in fact not alone out here. 
All of the jitters I had up until that point were instantly vindicated. Fear rushed into my chest at full speed, my whole upper body tightened up, and my heart started pounding heavily. I froze and quickly shone my flashlight at the trees, trying to see who or what it could have been. It was dark, and my flashlight barely lit up anything, so I tried yelling in a loud voice to scare it away. Maybe it was a wild animal after all, just passing through. Not to mention, it possibly could have just been a branch that fell from a tree. No, that was certainly a crunch, as if a larger weight was applied to the top of it. Something definitely stepped on a branch. It was there with me. I was not alone. I decided I wasn't taking any chances and swiftly started running to my car. Again, I heard something skittering beyond the trees. Something was following me. It was fast, faster than I thought a human could run. It followed me half of the way down, but suddenly stopped. For some reason, I didn't know why. I ran and ran until I finally got to my car in a cold sweat, in a daze. The small parking lot was almost full with parked cars, but not a soul was around. I quickly got in my car and locked the doors. Whatever was out there, I was at least locked inside my car to be away from it. I felt a bit safer and was glad to have some sense of security. I hoped it hadn't followed me, so I silently waited in my car for another hour because I didn't feel like sleeping yet. It was probably 3 or 4 a.m. at the time. I was so tired that I began to doze off, the very thing I wanted to avoid. It also began raining, and I was hot, so I opened the window a crack to let in some fresh air. It was very calming listening to the rain, and I was halfway asleep. That's when I heard the sound of something scratching against the car. Immediately, I jumped up and looked around, but it was pitch black out. I didn't want to turn my flashlight on, just in case it was a bear or something. But after a few minutes of nothing, I gently took a peek out of the window. Then I decided to hit the car horn. Maybe that would scare it away. After another minute, I stopped honking the horn and went outside to see if it was there. With such a loud noise, it must have gotten scared away, running off into the woods, I thought. At this point, I just wanted to get away from the place and decided I was going to drive to a nearby Walmart parking lot, or something like that, and I'd go home in the morning. So I turned my car on and my headlights on. I flipped my windshield wipers on, and to my astonishment and horror, a tall, thick-necked guy with a heavily scarred face that looked more like a bulldog than a person was standing about forty feet in front of my car. He was drooling incessantly. I gasped and instinctively clenched the steering wheel in horror. He suddenly got on all fours like he was an animal and began to walk sideways towards the car. I could see something glistening in his hand, which appeared to be a knife. I slammed my car into drive, quickly making a U-turn to the left where the exit was, he was still chasing me on all fours, 
at a speed that shouldn't have been possible like that. Add on to that the fact that he wasn't wearing any clothes, and he seemed more animal than person. Despite me driving in my car, the guy nearly reached me, but I luckily made it to the road and safely drove away. I was so terrified and disturbed after that that I did not go back to get the rest of the stuff. I had to pay my friend back quite a bit for all the stuff I left. I went a few days later in daylight out of curiosity, though, but all the stuff was gone. These days, I always shudder at the thought of him stalking me for hours or watching me as I lay alone in the tent. I reported him to the police the next day, and I hope he was caught. This is probably not the usual camping experience for most, but I guess it's safe to say that people should always be aware of their surroundings when camping and always carry some type of self-defense, especially if you're a girl. This doesn't mean I'm going to go camping ever again, but it was definitely a surreal learning experience. It looked like the rake from Haunted Vacuum 420. It was several years ago when I was 10 and my older stepbrother was 11. My dad and stepmom had just gotten married and me and my stepbro were home alone at around 5.30 a.m. We were watching Netflix. Well, we were trying to, but it just kept buffering. So, being impatient kids, we decided to go outside and practice bow shooting instead, which is what we did a lot. There was a lot of dew on the ground outside, and the sun was just beginning to come up. It took us a couple of minutes to walk over to our target practice spot. We had fired a few arrows, then my stepbrother started acting skittish for whatever reason. We took another round of turns, but when his next turn came up, he turned white. He said to me, I think I'll sit this one out, which I thought was weird because he was so eager to get out of there. I shot a few more arrows, but then while I was aiming, he shook me and pointed at an old burn pile a good deal away. That's when I felt a shock. What the hell was I looking at? A white, lifeless-looking face was half-peeked out from behind the pile. Me, my stepbrother, and the creature stared at one another, eye to eye, for what I think was about two minutes. Then my stepbrother moved his foot onto a twig, causing it to break and echo. I guess it scared the creature, because it made a screeching sound that I'll never forget, something akin to a panther being murdered by a screech owl. I remember the two of us running inside and locking the door until my dad got home. All I can say is we didn't go outside alone again. I don't know what we saw, but it scared the living daylights out of me. Pale Humanoid in My House From Foreign Replacement I'm a 21-year-old guy who's been suffering from insomnia since the beginning of puberty, so going to bed at 2 to 4 in the morning isn't unusual for me, let alone having trouble staying asleep, even after I work long shifts. 
I live in a fairly small town that is known for hauntings, satanic rituals, Bigfoot sightings, you name it. There is even a desert nearby where people report skinwalkers. Personally, I've always seen and heard things ever since I can remember. It started when I was very young with tapping on my bedroom walls, hearing children giggling outside in the middle of the night, when I myself am the youngest in the family. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, this particular event kind of freaks me out the most. This happened back in January, one night at about two in the morning. I was using the bathroom playing on my phone as most people often do when I heard a few footsteps outside the bathroom door. My mom and older sister were in the house with me, so I figured it might have been one of them, waiting for me to get out of the bathroom. I finish up quick and go back to my room, but along the way I noticed my mother and my sister were sleeping. I chalked it up to hearing something, nothing unusual as I've seen a little girl in my house. It's not like she was a threat, plus I left the lamp in the living room on just in case I wanted to go back there and turn on the console for a little gaming session. Getting back to my room, I listened to some music and I finally started getting tired close to three. So I got up to go back to the bathroom to brush my teeth and to take my contacts out for the night. I turned off my music so as to not wake up my mom, whose room is down the hall from mine. But almost as soon as I did, I heard more footsteps and a very audible hush. I thought that was odd, sure. I've heard voices at night before, but that was definitely creepy. I kept telling myself I was just hearing things. If I just don't show fear, these things won't bother me. But I looked into the living room to be safe. I wanted to be sure there wasn't someone wandering around the house. I wish I hadn't done that. There was something there I'd never seen before in my life, and it was disturbing. It was crouched behind one of the chairs in the living room. This was impossible, considering just how tall it was, the way its thin, frail body was folded up. I could tell it was unimaginably tall. The lamp near it was still on, and I got a good look at it. Long, gangly arms, almost human-like hands with very long nails at the end of each finger. It was crouched so that it was maybe three feet tall, but had it been standing, I'd guess it would reach a height of at least eight feet. It was pale white with no obvious hairs growing on its body, and the face was humanoid in shape, but the thing had deep, dark holes in it. I guess those were its eyes. Its mouth was shut, so I didn't get a good look as to what kind of teeth it may have had. It moved a little to try to crouch more in a poor attempt to hide itself. As it did this, I noticed its movements were slow, like a video game character's movements were lagging. Holding in a scream, I immediately went back into my room and shut the door, hoping it wouldn't come in since I didn't have a lock on the door. I stayed in my room for about an hour and a half. All that while, I could hear small squeals and footsteps, even tapping on the door. Eventually, it stopped, and I heard my sister walking past the room to go to the bathroom. I opened the door and saw that that creature wasn't there anymore. My half-asleep sister didn't say a word when she walked past, 
and still didn't say anything as she went back to bed. I guess she assumed I was just hearing things again and couldn't sleep. It's not like I could say anything. I was kind of just astounded or silenced by fear. It was 4.30 a.m. then, and I still could not sleep. I quickly went to the bathroom to fill my contact case with solution, then I took my case back to my room. Before taking my contacts out, I remembered the living room lamp was still on. Although I was dreading it, I had to turn off the lamp unless I wanted to be yelled at for wasting electricity. I thought it was stupid and childish that I would be more worried about being yelled at than encountering this thing in my house face to face. I ran to the living room to turn off that lamp, then I ran back to my room just like a scared little child would. I took out my contacts, then I hid under my blanket. Needless to say, I slept with my light on. Even some nights after that, I would hear tapping on the walls coming from outside. I had no doubts it was that same thing again. I got about two hours of sleep that night, but fear, doubt, and caffeine kept me awake the next day. I've done some research as to what it could have been. There are only two things that come to mind. The Wendigo spirit and the rake. Well, everyone, I'm finally back with full-length videos. These past few days without internet were kind of awful. It's absurd that we have data caps still for our phones. If I lived off of my phone data to do these uploads, it would cost a thousand a month, I'm sure. A thousand bucks, that is. So I'm glad to be back, so you guys can look forward to more full-length episodes in the future. Until then, good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story to share, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the description. There's a link to my merch store and a link to my Patreon. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous full episode. About five creepy graveyard stories. Kane Sevenify says, At least it's not Grave Encounters. That's a really good movie. Really underrated. Stresses me out. The thought of being trapped in a different dimension of horror until I die just sounds... awesome. KFC Man says, I hate going to graveyards. It makes me sad. Well, just remember, all the people buried in graveyards no longer have to feel pain. So, it's a good thing in a way. Master Puppeteer says, Your videos always seem to come up when I'm going through a bad time. Thanks for all your hard work, dude. It really helps. Well, I'm glad I can help. Distractions are always good when you're going through a rough patch, and scary stories are often long distractions, so that's a plus. Liz Santiago says, Ah, so much for my picnic. Going picnicking in the graveyard? You risk eating someone's toe by accident. Still delicious, though. And Luke Skywalker Endor says, when I die, I want to haunt the graveyard and scare people with my force power. The rules are simple. No civilization. 
Today, I've got a collection of allegedly real encounters about the creepy, absolutely messed up stuff people have seen in the wilderness. So, tie yourself to a tree and prepare for the worst. Remember, if you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. We're looking for tales about campers and RVs, or Halloween. And of course, we'd love to hear stories on other topics too. Now, let's begin. Warning. The following story contains written illustrations of dead animals that some viewers may find disturbing. Timestamps are in the description. Thank you. What do the crow feathers mean? From Wicca Boo. Growing up as a little girl in the backwoods of rural eastern Pennsylvania, I learned a lot of things. I learned how to make a fort. I learned what plants I could eat and want to avoid. I learned how to tell what track belonged to which animal. And most importantly, I learned what places I should never go. My earliest memory of the 200 acres of state game land that our property set in the middle of was something I'll never forget. At the age of around six or seven, I can remember that one day that I heard mewing coming from under the porch. When I peered under the wooden steps, I stumbled upon two very different cats. My mother came home to find me grass-stained and sitting with a fluffy black and white kitten and a scraggly old gray cat with matted fur. Not until she called my name did I turn to face her with a cut across my face. Right then, she knew that we'd have to name them. So we did. Baby and Scar. I came home every day to play with these cats, until my mom decided that we couldn't take care of them both, and my neighbor adopted Baby, the cute little kitten, leaving me stuck with Scar. Scar was a strange cat. As much as I loved and enjoyed him, he of course was not my cat so much as nature's cat. He would always leave me dead things like birds and mice to clean up. Scar knew how to survive and thrive in the woods. He seemed to know every path hiding in the whole game lands. Although Scar, the beast, would wander off always, he never failed to be waiting for me back at home. So, of course, I was surprised when I got home from school one day, and my lovely Scar was nowhere to be found. I decided, of course, I would find him. I trekked off into the woods past the stream on the property and into dense forest. The trees waved in the slight breeze and the sun shone overhead. Birds chirped and leaves rustled. Despite how distraught I was about possibly losing my beloved little monster of a cat, I was beginning to enjoy myself on this walk. Just as soon as I began humming to myself, I could hear a mewing off in the distance. Of course, that makes so much sense that Scar would know my voice. That's what I thought, so I bolted in the direction of the meow. Soon I found that the sound of my feet crunching the leaves below blocked out the subtle mewing in the distance. 
I slowed down to realize that I no longer heard my scars meows, and I heard absolutely nothing at all. The only noise that was made were my footsteps. The birds had stopped their songs, and the woods' movement from the wind had gone dead still. The sun had now fallen behind some clouds, creating a thin shadow of darkness under the already blackened tree coverage. Due to this silence, my ears sharpened. My other senses seemed to focus, too. I looked around, wondering where I was, and if I could even get back. I thought about how my mom must have gotten home by now. She'd be so mad at me for running off in the middle of nowhere before she got home. My eyes focused on a cleared spot in a dense brush. I realized I'd found a trail. My survival guide brain kicked in and I rationalized that it must lead somewhere, so I figured I could follow it and eventually get home, or at the very least to a road. I began to walk, and walk, and walk. I began to notice something that piqued my attention. I always kept my eyes at my feet while I walked, because I was a clumsy child, and I was afraid I would trip over a root or twig. So when I was staring at my little boots in the mud and leaves, I began to notice a color that you don't always see in nature. Bright red. I inspected the leaf with the dense red liquid on it, and I knew what it was. I'd seen blood before, as I had scraped my knees pretty bad many times. At first, my mind began racing. Would I find Scar? Would he be... dead? No, 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 no. Just, just keep walking. Follow the trail. The blood followed the trail, too, though. Every step I walked to avoid the drips and drops and splatters. But my little mind was relieved when the blood had feathers instead of cat fur. The shiny black feathers were large and had a green tint to them. I figured at some point I'd find the animal they belonged to, all mangled and no longer living. I was dreading that scene until I had an epiphany. Perhaps my scar had killed many a small creatures. He'd left a trail of blood up my wooden porch dozens of times, leaving us plenty of little cat presents. This had to be him. Had to be my scar. I raced and dashed among the branches and ferns. Somewhere the blood led, somewhere that my scar would be. I just knew it. My heart skipped a beat as I stepped and my shoe got stuck under a log, sending me flying forward. I had skidded across the forest floor and my shoe got taken off, still wedged under the log. My arm had hit a rock and it tingled, but I found myself brushing off my clothes and hopping back up. I was okay. I refocused. I was following a trail. A... a trail. My eyes beaded back and forth for the trail, but it was gone. Where had it gone? It was just there. I frantically turned, searching for that familiar crimson color that I'd followed for what must have been miles. 
but it was gone. I abruptly sat there and cried. I knew it. That was Scar, and I had no hope of finding him. Just as I opened my eyes, wiping tears away, my vision corrected and revealed yet another color that you rarely see in nature. Fluorescent pink. I knew that color, though. It was the one my dad used to mark the trees on our property line. The ones he never got around to cutting down. I knew where to go now. If I just run towards the tree, my house would come into view soon after. So that's what I did. For the last time, I ran overjoyed to be in a familiar place. Just as my driveway came into view, my mother's car was pulling into the parking spot. I ran to her and hugged her with the biggest six-year-old squeeze. She smiled at me and said, You're sure happy to see me. I pleaded with her not to punish me, that I was sorry for being gone so long. She frowned and scolded me for being in the woods alone, but said she had no idea what I was talking about. She had just got home. My mom got home from work every day only 20 minutes after I got home from school. This did not make sense, though. I'd been gone for several hours, lost in the trees, following a feathery, bloody trail. My little kid brain wasn't too bothered by that gap in time, however. The only thing that mattered was that I was home. I was safe. I was secure with my mom. When I pulled away out of her arms, I noticed something behind her. The crimson drips across the concrete that formed a walkway to my porch. He was home. I knew it this time. I jumped across the concrete, turning toward my deck toward the stairs. I was right. Scar had come home to me just as I'd wished. I expected to see him there, with a crow jutting from his jaws. And though this was nearly the case, something was wrong. I fell backward, and a wave of dread crashed over me. My scar had come home, all right, but he had been mangled and crushed with fresh blood still creating little plops on the steps below. His gray stripes could barely be seen under the coat of deep color liquid. His limbs seemed to have been pulled from their sockets, dislocated and broken. He had become a mess of a carcass, nearly unrecognizable, but I knew it was him. I could always tell him apart. For as much as no one would believe, he was my cat. The only distinguishing thing in this mass of mess was a single reflecting crow's feather. Now, let me fill you in on some things that you didn't know before. Things that I certainly didn't know when I was six years old. Our woods were on Native American land or what used to be their land. There are three signs outside of the development that talk about how the natives gave the land to the pioneers, and however quirky and nice that sounds, it's simply not the truth. I soon found out that the land was sacred and had been stolen from the tribes. One of the signs that is very dilapidated states that there was a wagon trail that led the mountaineers here, and they started building mines under where all the houses are. 
In fact, there are these old mountaineer homes that are abandoned on a trail near my own house. Every time I explored one of these houses, I found a new dead creature. Not freshly dead, usually just bones. There used to be a dead crow nailed to the ceiling of one of the houses. However, it has since been moved by someone or something. Lastly, during my trip to a clearing behind my home, I found an arrowhead in the dirt. This land is now mostly owned by the state, but my house is here, and I know it was never meant to be. I've come to the conclusion that some sort of native curse or entity had killed my cat, leaving the feather as a sign. I know that the crow feathers must mean something, because I would always continue to find them wherever I found dead animals. I know it sounds odd, unbelievable even. I wish I could be more informed on the subject. But believe me when I say the last thing I want to do is to anger the natives and their spirits. Werewolf of Monroe Lake From Danny Joe My brother and I went on a fishing trip to Monroe Lake in Indiana. We've been there hundreds of times before, all over the place. We left on a Friday morning and got there Friday late afternoon. We brought a john boat and some basic essentials, like a tent, my gun, just a small thirty-eight special revolver, his gun, a twenty-two lever-action rifle, and some firewood. We didn't bring much food, because we thought we'd just eat fish and some small game if needed. We loaded everything into the boat and went off. It was quickly getting dark, though, and the only light we had were the ones on the boat, and a small flashlight. After being on the water for about an hour, we found a small cove really perfect for us because it was out in the middle of nowhere. We could fish any way we wanted. We unloaded the boat and set up camp. My brother got a fire going, and I began fishing because I was getting hungry. After a few minutes, the crickets just stopped chirping. I wasn't getting any bites either so I figured it was a better time than any to start walking back to camp. We set up about twenty yards from the boat. When I got back to my brother, I asked him if he noticed the lack of sounds around us, and he replied, I didn't really notice till now. Then, together as we listened, we heard a loud howl that sounded like it was about a mile away. Chills went down my spine and my brother began to tremble. I could see it in his hands. I spoke. That was creepy. But what are we doing, dude? We're both grown men. Nothing we can't handle. Yeah, he said. Probably a coyote. We both decided to lie down in the tent and call it a night, but I got my gun out, just to be safe, because a mile out here in the woods isn't very far. The next morning we woke up and got the day started. We thought we'd go and see if we could find the footprint or scat trail of a coyote, figuring that's what we heard last night. We ventured about 500 yards into the woods from our camp, 
when we came up on a small coyote, but the thing had been ripped to shreds. My brother was curious as to what had done this, possibly another coyote, a bear or mountain lion. But after seeing this, I was more interested in going back to camp. We got back and I went for my phone to text my dad. I asked what big predators live out here that could take down a coyote. It took a minute or two before he texted back. He replied, maybe some cougars, but not much else. So I figured it was either that or just a bigger coyote. We decided to only stay one more night, as we didn't want to be attacked by whatever did that. We went out on the boat for a while, fishing. We weren't having any luck on the cove, so we went to this rock face that we called Crappie Honey Hole, as we always caught crappie there. Finally, we started catching some fish, and we didn't stop until the sun began to set. We were both starving that day. Eventually, we called it a day and started back to camp. Our little boat didn't go very fast, but it was better than a canoe or kayak. By the time we made it back to camp, it was completely dark, and it was quiet like it was the previous night. We slid the boat on the bank and started out. We made a beeline for the fire pit to cook up our catches, only to notice that our camp now looked like a war zone. Everything had been torn up and thrown around, like someone was looking for something. We both grabbed our guns quickly and took off the safety, looking at each other with the same expression. Expressions that said, we're not alone out here. We didn't grab anything else, and we started to make our way to the boat. As we did, we began to hear a deep, gurgling growl. It was closer than the previous night. As we get to the boat, my brother grabs the flashlight and points it towards camp. The both of us stop. Fear like I'd never felt before filled my body because the flashlight revealed two big yellow eyes. They were about five feet off the ground. Both of us were trembling now, beginning to back up. My brother jumped into the boat. He pulled the ripcord and the boat roared to life. I followed him into the boat, but I didn't take my eyes off of the thing in the woods. I crawled in. I looked away for less than a second, and when I looked back, the creature was gone. We pulled into the water, and I used the flashlight to look for the thing in the bushes, but it was nowhere to be found. We never thought to stay away from the bank and to get further away from it. We didn't think we'd be attacked out in the water. But we were wrong, because suddenly, to my right, the creature came rushing out of the bank. I saw it in detail then. It was more than six feet tall, with a body that was canine-like and human-like at the same time. I pointed the flashlight instinctively right at it, as if it was a gun and I was trying to protect myself. I could make out a piece of nylon sticking to one of its claws. A shred of our tent. I panicked and fell backward after that, pushing my brother out of the way to put the throttle on high. We barely made it out of that thing's clutches. I was wanting to get as far away as possible. We made it back to the boat ramp area, got the boat loaded in record time, 
and we booked it out of there in the truck. We didn't talk one bit all the way home, and never said much about this to Mom or Dad, even though they were concerned about where their tent went, as we had borrowed it. I'm in my thirties now, and I haven't been back to Monroe Lake. I'm scared to go back, and on the occasion my friends or family say that they're planning to go there, I try to convince them otherwise. Something on the Roof From Sivan I'm from the Philippines, which is a third world country. We have three major islands which are named Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. I live on the latter, in a rural area in Misamis Oriental. Our area here is pretty quiet, especially at night. But last week, when I was doing my chemistry homework, I heard a thud from the roof. I didn't pay much mind to it. This was normal, because we have mango trees around, and mangoes often fall from them and hit the roof. But as I continued to listen, these sounds continued, and they had a pattern to them, like a person walking. When I realized that it was something walking around, I grew scared, not knowing what's out there. I slept on the sofa with the lights turned on that night. The following day, nothing really happened except for an announcement from my cousin, who said that she was pregnant. Our houses are inside one compound, making it close together, and when I heard her say that she was pregnant, I began to worry. A lot of folks in the Philippines are superstitious. We believe in mythical creatures, one of which is called the Tik-Tik. It resembles a human, but with wings. In fact, it's featured in many of our films here. I was scared for her, but I didn't want her to worry so I didn't mention what I'd heard the previous night. Instead, I congratulated her, and I wished her and her baby well. For the next week after that, I kept hearing it on the roof every night. It seemed to be looking for something, something it never found, because after my cousin had her baby several months later, only then did the sounds stop. Alien in the Yard From Painted Dragon 90 This happened when I was eleven years old. My little brother was eight. We lived in a small town in Ohio, growing up surrounded by woods and lakes. The summer after our father left, we were left in the hands of a careless babysitter, who did nothing but smoke cigarettes and talk to her friends on the phone. She would leave us outside for several hours to basically screw around until my mom got home. Again, I'll remind you, we lived in the middle of nowhere out here, and the nearby town was a small one. One day it was a particularly late evening, and my mom had not gotten home yet. Our babysitter sent us out into the backyard with a badminton set and told us to play. My brother kept annoyingly hitting the birdie too hard, so we'd have to keep retrieving them from the thick woods behind the house. Eventually, we got bored with using birdies, so we switched over to tennis balls. Again, my brother was hitting them way too hard, and them being tennis balls, they rolled way past the tree line. 
Frustrated, I pointed in the direction where the ball disappeared, and I demanded that he get it. But he didn't want to go by himself. We walked into the brush, careful to avoid the poison ivy, and tried to locate the ball. We couldn't find it anywhere. But as we looked, we suddenly heard a noise, like sticks breaking. There was something else walking around out here. I was afraid we were a bit too close to a large animal, like a deer, or worse. I told my brother to head back inside, but he didn't go back. Instead, he froze there. I kept asking him what was wrong. What's going on with you, I said. But the only thing he could do was point. About twenty to twenty-five yards away from us, there was some kind of animal. From what I could make out, it had very large eyes and a tiny slit for a mouth. No nose, no hair, just like the gray aliens you see on TV. Safe to say my brother and I were both too terrified to move. After a few moments passed, the creature ducked behind the tree and disappeared. My brother and I slowly backed out of the woods and made it back to our house. When my mother got home from work, I tried to tell her everything that happened. But my brother would not agree with me. He refused to tell her the truth. He lied instead, saying that we hadn't seen anything. My brother and I shared a bedroom at the time that had a window facing the backyard. He and I went to bed, but did not go to sleep. Of course, that night I began complaining at my brother for what he'd done. How could he lie about that? Why would he make my mom think that I'm a liar? She thinks I'm crazy now, I thought. Just as I was berating him, we heard a thump at the window. My brother and I obviously immediately assumed the worst. We debated closing the blinds. Since I was on the top bunk, I could reach the string, but I really didn't want to move. I was so scared that that alien would see me. Eventually, I gathered the courage to get up and to pull the string. But as I got up to my knees to reach over, I made the mistake of glancing out the window. I immediately soiled myself. That thing, the exact thing we'd seen in the woods, it was staring at me, just staring with those big black eyes. My brother saw it too and began to scream and cry. My mom woke up, and she wasn't happy. Instead of explaining anything, we just sat there crying. I've never forgotten these events. To this day, I have no idea why my brother threw me under the bus. Even now, nearly twenty years later, my mom still thinks I made up the story, all because my brother wouldn't open his mouth. The Watchers from Dragonlord 2082 This happened in 2006 in northern Kentucky. We had been in our new house for roughly a year when I began noticing a dark figure watching our house from the trees. We had woods behind our house, and that's where I saw it. One day after coming home from work, I headed out to the backyard to work in the garden and to gather some fruits and vegetables to make dinner for the night. While out at the back part of the garden, 
I heard the crunching of leaves and sticks coming from the shallow woods. I didn't think much of it, as there was a heavily used game trail just inside the trees, so I figured it was some sort of animal. I continued what I was doing, then headed back into the house, but now I had a feeling that I was being watched. I stopped and looked around, but did not see anything. But it was pretty dark at that point. I headed into the house to help make dinner. After dinner, I started to do dishes, and happened to glance out the back window. And there, I saw a dark figure standing at the tree line. I turned around to yell for my wife, but when she finally came over to the kitchen window, the figure had left. Figuring my eyes were just playing tricks on me, I finished up the dishes and turned off the lights in the kitchen. I sat down in the living room to play some Xbox. It was around 12 a.m. when the back motion lights came on. That wasn't too abnormal because the neighbor had like 50 cats that would tramp through my yard at all hours of the day. So I ignored it and went back to playing my game. I'm not sure how long it was after the last time. You know how it is when you play a really good game and lose all track of time. But suddenly the back lights came on again. This time I paused the game and I got up to check it out. When I looked out the back door, there were no cats outside at all. But there was a dark humanoid figure moving around in the far back part of the yard towards the trees. I walked out the door onto the back deck to see if I could make out what it was. When I got outside, the figure froze and just stood still. It looked as if whatever it was had its gaze set on me. To test my idea, I moved around to see where its eyes would adjust. And sure enough, the eyes followed me. At this point, I have no idea what's going on or what the hell that thing is. So I backed up slowly while keeping my eyes on it as I went back into the house. I then turned off all the lights in the house and watched through the blinds. The figure didn't move for a while, so the back lights suddenly went out. I watched a bit longer, then went back to my bedroom. But as soon as I laid back in bed, the lights came back on. This time, I looked up from my bed, and there was a shadow just outside my bedroom window. I pulled the cover over my head, stifling a scream, and I shut my eyes. Eventually, I fell asleep like that. The next day was quiet, and everything seemed to go back to normal. Ever since then, I've seen this figure on occasion in my yard, until I was absolutely horrified to see it inside my house. Just outside my bedroom door, actually. This kept going until I moved out from that house. I don't miss it and I hope those things don't follow me. Imagine something that could rip you in half easily. Now imagine that it can move more quickly than you without making a sound. That's what lurks in the wilderness. While humans have pretty much stopped evolving specifically to live in the wild, there are creatures that continue to become more perfect in their malevolent tasks. So be careful out in the wilderness, because beyond the tree line, everything is either predator or prey. Good night.
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. We accept all stories, but specifically, we'd love to hear stories about Halloween or campers and RVs. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about five allegedly real encounters with the Wendigo. Silhouette Sonata says, Forced. I'm not sure if you're trying to say forest or first, but hello, I guess. Sir Lucas says, The best kind of stories. Now to just not get eaten by a Wendigo and I'll be all good. Hey, on the bright side, if you do get eaten by a Wendigo, the Wendigo will transform into David Bowie. Take that as you will. Liz Santiago says, Born out of desperation and hunger, huh? Sounds like me without a midnight snack. Same here, Liz. If I'm hungry in the middle of the night, I also get reborn from my mother's womb. Get it? I'm taking the part about being born, literally. Yeah, okay. My jokes are awful. Jaden Corsino says, This channel is the shiz. At first, I read that comment without the word, the, and I was taking some harsh criticism. Crazy how the word the can change that meaning entirely. Ash James says, Would rather die from starvation than ever become a creature such as the Wendigo. Pretty much. If you get cursed to be a Wendigo, you're doomed to die, basically. And you also get doomed to make other people die by eating them. It's a lose-lose. But if you choose to just starve instead, it's only one lose. And Taylor Aiso says, I made it to the first five comments. Can I just say your voice is the best to go to sleep to, Darkness? Thank you very much, Taylor. As long as you guys don't hear me snore with an accent, which I somehow do, then you'll keep loving me. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who support the show. They're awesome. Remember, stay safe out there. And stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Secure. Contain. Protect. These are jobs for an entirely different person. But today we're talking about just that first part, secure. Security guards have often tense jobs, watching over people or property. But when things get a little too scary, security guards just aren't paid enough for this crap. These are some allegedly true and creepy stories about or from security guards. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. I'd really love to hear some stories about RVs, campers, and mobile homes or trailer parks. Also, excuse the sound of my heater in the background. I'm freezing here. Now, let's begin. The Bird Grabber From Garbin The second job I ever had was a night shift security gig. I was honestly quite surprised I got the call back on that one, 
since I'd hardly had any experience working anywhere. I was a nineteen-year-old, sheltered guy, but had always been taller than my peers growing up, so maybe that had something to do with it. I lived in a small college town in New England. The security guard position had me looking after an old mausoleum containing some family tombs. It was autumn when I started, and with the trees being bare or nearly bare, the place was absolutely creepy after sundown. It took me a few weeks to stop feeling that sort of dread or fear you get when you're alone in a very dark and creepy place. But yeah, once everything became routine for me, that feeling went away. I ended up working there for three years. I quit after managing to get a scholarship to finish up two more years at university and finally finish up my bachelor's degree. I wanted to focus on my school full-time. Anyway, my shift began at 10 p.m. each night, and I'd work until 8 in the morning. That meant 10-hour night shifts, five days a week. It was a gravy job, honestly. It did not take me long to get into the flow and theme of the place. Remembering my rounds became second nature in no time, and I would often even listen to true crime and paranormal podcasts on my phone via Spotify while walking around in the dark. You could probably understand why, at a certain point, I believed that nothing could scare me, or that I was at the very least ready for anything. But then came the longest night of my entire life. This was the night that I saw something that I'll never forget, and will never be able to truly explain. It was nearly exactly a year after I started, so that would make it autumn again. The leaves were just starting to turn this year, but the temperature was beyond freezing already. I was doing my rounds with a sweater under my blizzard-ready jacket, while between rounds, I would make sure to keep the coffee pot hot and full. You could call it cozy, save for the couple of hours of rounds I had to do. During my second round for that night, I got up and downed a cup of coffee. Then I threw my toasty jacket back on and exited the security building. This building was little more than a well-insulated shed. Before you could step foot in the mausoleum from there, you'd have to walk through a small outcropping row of trees via a footpath. This outcropping was pretty short, but it was thick enough that you could not see the mausoleum on the other side, adding a bit of suspense when you walked through the footpath at night. So I made my way through, and a few minutes later I was in the mausoleum, checking the tombs and gravestones for tampering and making sure no teenagers were hanging out on the hillside, smoking it up or getting frisky. That happened quite a lot, believe it or not. I made my way over to the archway of the main family plot when I heard the shifting of tree branches. There was little to no wind that night, so the moment I heard that sound, I knew that some branches were being shifted around by an animal or person. I listened closely, eventually suspecting that the sounds were a bit too heavy and slow to be that of a squirrel crawling around on them. I laughed to myself, 
Thinking about how awkward it's going to be when I have to make my way to the tree in question, only to find a couple of kids trying and failing to make out in a tree. I rounded the edge of the main plot, where a tall poplar tree had stood for ages. When I turned the corner past a stone tomb, I found myself in full view staring into something nearly seven yards away from me that shook me to my very core. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't blink. My body went as stiff as a freaking board. It was an instinctual response. I'd never reacted like that before. I was terrified. Now, I'll describe to you what I saw, but I'll admit here that it's going to sound insane. Imagine a man with no clothes or hair whatsoever on his body. Turn his skin pale and nearly a super light shade of blue-green, then slather him with a viscous slime, and to top it off, stretch him so that he's half the width of a normal man, but twice the height. That's what I was looking at, some sort of creature that was a nightmarish deformity of a normal man. It was so freaking tall. It was using its lanky arms to slowly reach into the branches of the poplar, pulling and bending them toward its face. Then it picked at the bark with its face and fingers, like it was searching for insects or small animals to consume. And then the worst happened. I somehow managed to choke on my own saliva, causing me to cough just once. The thing steadily turned and lowered its head a bit, soon finding me with its odd-looking eyes. Its eyes were these flat, straight, horizontal slits. They were so thin, I couldn't tell if they were closed or not. But I guessed that they weren't, because it looked at me and cocked its head to the side. It saw me, but it didn't seem to care. A few seconds of studying me over... It then went back to the branch it was, uh, feeling up. I turned, and I power-walked my way back to the security building. I could hear that thing chewing on something and pulling at branches the entire way back. I quickly locked the door, telling myself that finishing the rounds this shift was not going to happen. I was not stepping foot outside until the sun was up. I survived the night okay. Didn't see anything else out of place or weird. Now, I didn't straight up tell my co-workers about the incident, but I did ask the other guards about the creepy things they'd experienced working here. The older guard who'd worked there the longest had stumbled upon torn and fallen branches a couple of times. He'd even found half-chewed-up birds. Obviously, he thought this was odd. We didn't get enough wind around these parts to tear branches from healthy trees that often, and it was curious that the half-eaten birds he'd find were always next to these fallen branches. The other guard I talked to, a woman in her thirties, had frequently heard oddly heavy footsteps around the mausoleum, but she admitted she'd been too afraid to investigate when she'd hear these noises. Can't say I'd blame her. I never saw the creature again, 
but to be honest, that's probably because any further sounds similar to the ones that creature made, I completely avoided. I did not want to end up like one of those half-eaten birds or ripped-off branches. Grave Shift Security Story from Kix037 When I was 20 years old, I worked at the University of Utah as a security officer. At that time, my now ex and I worked the same shift, which was the graveyard shift. Her name was Anne. Working on a big campus and also working nights, you always hear about haunted buildings, haunted places, all kinds of alleged spooks. Well, on this particular night, I was feeling adventurous, and I wanted to show Anne that I was an adventurous guy. So I drove us to do a building walkthrough of one of these supposedly haunted buildings on the campus. We pull up, and right away Anne says to me, I have a bad feeling about this. I don't think I want to do this. She was obviously uneasy, but again, I wanted an adventure. After a few minutes, I managed to talk her back into it, and we began to walk into the building. Right away, I felt goosebumps all over my body. The inside was so dark, there was not enough light from the outside coming in. Many corners and dark spots were sheer blackness. I tell Anne, Come on, let's walk through the building and see what we can find. I didn't want to necessarily provoke anything. I simply wanted to see if we saw anything weird. It was uneventful. Nothing happened except the creaking of the building, which was normal. But that all changed when we made it to the basement door. I opened it and looked down into the basement. I was met face to face with that sheer darkness, now enveloping everything in front of me. You couldn't even see the stairs. I pulled out my flashlight and I began to head down the stairs when Anne tried to stop me. Jeremy, no. This doesn't feel right. It feels like we're being watched. I pushed forward anyway, and Anne... Too afraid to be alone, followed me, hanging on to my shoulder. We got off the stairs of the basement, and still, I felt nothing. Yet the whole time, Anne was telling me that we had to go back. The basement seemed empty except for cobwebs. I was scanning the basement, moving my weak flashlight slowly, when I noticed that the back corner had a small hallway that led to another room. I started walking towards it, and that's when things got weird. As I'm scanning the second room with the light, I notice that the only thing in that room is an empty chair. I scan past it at first, not giving the object a second thought. It was when I was bringing the light back across the room when we noticed the chair was now facing a different direction entirely. It was now facing us, as if someone was sitting in it and had angled themselves to face us. Right away, this startled me. I began to feel that watched feeling that Anne had had. 
We slowly back out of the basement, and I swear I felt as if someone was standing over me. Annick was in a full-blown panic. Jeremy, we have to leave, she said. I nod. We start walking up the stairs, and the whole time I'm looking behind me, just waiting to see someone. We make it to the top of the stairs. Anne tells me she's going outside, and that I can stay in here as long as I want, but she's done. I tell her, that's fine, go sit in the car, I'm just going to make sure the front door is locked. Anne walks towards the back door where we were parked, and I walked around the corner to the front. I made sure the door was locked when I started to hear footsteps in the hallway behind me. Anne? I call out. I hear a few more distinct footsteps. I walk towards them, hesitantly, and I call out again. Anne! Just at that moment, I saw movement out of the corner of my eye by the staircase. I walk over to the stairs and stand and listen. Now I can hear footsteps upstairs, so I started to walk up them when I hear, Jeremy, what are you doing? I'm not going back down there. I snapped my head up over the stair railing and saw Anne. She was talking to the open basement door. Anne, what are you doing? I said. She looked up at me and jumped. She was shocked. You... I saw you in the basement. No, I responded. She continued. You weren't just calling me back down to the basement? Jeremy, I heard your voice calling me from the basement. Anne, I replied. I thought you were upstairs. I swear to God I saw you walking up the staircase. I saw the terror in her eyes, so we both flew out of that building as quickly as possible. Once we made it to the point where we were calm enough to think about the situation, I began to realize whatever was in that house was trying to separate us. Something wanted me upstairs, while it tried to take her down into the basement. I do feel bad because she told me the entire time she was feeling like she was being watched. She kept telling me that she wanted to leave, but I didn't listen. That was five years ago and our lives have moved into different paths. I am no longer with that university, but for anyone that starts as a campus security officer at the University of Utah, be careful of the buildings on Fort Douglas. Some of the stories you hear from that place are apparently true. Never Quite Alone From Anonymous. My mom worked as a security guard for a company that sent her to various locations. One of the most interesting posts was at a popular soft drink factory. While my mom worked second shift, this shift still had very little actual workers present after around 6 p.m. or so. She would often regale me with stories of what would happen when she was all alone, or at least should have been alone. The most common incidents she would have would be hearing footsteps and the opening and closing of doors. 
These sounds occurred in the long corridor just outside her office and in the women's washroom down the hall. She said they never felt wrong or malevolent. My mom had worked there for many years. I would occasionally have to stop by or pick her up if we had to share a car for whatever reason. Due to this, I had on a few occasions witnessed the phantom footsteps myself. The first time it happened, my mom was so excited for me to experience it firsthand. I could clearly hear a man's heavy footfall back and forth all the way at the other end of the hall. Now watch this, my mom excitedly exclaimed as she practically dragged me toward the sound. The sound grew louder the closer we got to it, but when we made it to the exact spot where the footsteps were happening, they went dead silent. If you didn't work there or deliver there, it was usually frowned upon to walk around inside the building, but I'm glad I had these experiences. Though creepy, they really show you that things go bump in the night, and they're not always so bad. Scary Security Guard in My Building From Anonymous This happened about two years ago. I was 14 years old, and pretty short for my age. I live in Canada, and I'd like to say I live in a relatively safe neighborhood. In my apartment building, I know everyone, even the staff, and because I'm so well known, the staff lets me and my friends wander around the building at night, so long as we keep quiet. You don't want to wake up the neighbors. One summer night, I was with my two friends, Jade and Derek. Jade, Derek, and I were walking around the building like we normally do, and had made our way up to the tenth floor to ask another friend if he wanted to come hang with us. Now, my building has two stairwells and an elevator. The two stairwells are on opposite ends of the long hallway, and the elevators are in the middle of the hallway. As we were walking towards our friend's door, we heard the stairwell on the opposite side of the hallway slam close, and there was a man walking towards us. The guy was huge. He was six foot eight. He had gray hair and blue eyes, but only looked to be in his mid-forties. I had never seen him here before, and like I said before, I knew everyone in the building. This didn't scare me, but it did confuse me. The man was walking towards us, and I assumed he would just go to the elevators, but he didn't. He walked right past them. I knew for sure that he didn't live on this floor, so why did he keep going? My friend Jade finally noticed him, and as Derek also turned to see the man, the massive guy broke into a run and was coming right for us. Freaking out, I grabbed Jade and pushed her into the stairwell closest to us, yelling at her and Derek to run as Jade and I ran as fast as we could up the stairwell. We made it to the 16th floor before I realized that Derek was nowhere to be seen. We hadn't heard any footsteps, and our stairwell echoes loudly. I went back to look for him. I couldn't just leave him behind. So Jade and I ran back down, quietly opening every door to check for Derek until we found him on the ninth floor. He whispered to us to tell us we needed to switch stairwells and run down to the ground floor, the only floor with security cameras. 
The three of us jumped as we saw the man peering out of the stairwell, the one Jade and I had just come from. We bolted to the other side and ran down the stairs as fast as we could. We just reached the fourth floor when the door was heavily pushed open and the man stood there blocking our way. He began to scream and reach into his back pocket. He was holding something shiny and silver-looking, but I couldn't see what it actually was before one of the neighbors came out of their room and asked what was going on. A couple of other sleepy neighbors woke up and entered the hallway as well. His expression turned to anger and fear. He obviously didn't want a commotion, and whatever he'd pulled out of his pocket was now back in his pocket. The man then walked away. We asked the neighbors who had come out first who he was, but she didn't know. This made me uneasy, obviously, and considering that I never saw the man again, even though we kept going out at night with friends, this led me to believe that he wasn't a security guard at all. But why was he dressed as one? And why was he chasing a bunch of children? Black-Eyed Trespasser from Yuri78 I used to work as a security guard for a mall. I was the guy that had to lock up the doors after spending all day watching people a little too closely. I can't tell you how awkward it is, and how irritating it is, to have to go up to some teenagers on a bench and tell them not to sit in each other's laps. Ugh, what a career. Needless to say, I did not enjoy the job, but something happened during my last year there that made me hate it even more. It had been a long day full of rowdy, disrespectful kids and a couple of dudes who thought they'd be just fine drinking whiskey from some brown paper bags. When closing time finally came, I was so ready to just go home. I needed some sleep and a double dose of ibuprofen. I had to make sure everyone was cleared out before locking up. There were three sets of doors that needed locked, the northwest, the east, and the south doors. The northwest doors came first, and that went without a hitch. But next were the east doors. The moment I entered the east corridor, I could see someone standing outside. Please stay out there, I mumbled to myself. If they came in, I'd have to confront them and tell them that we were closed, hoping that they wouldn't start a problem with me. Oddly enough, they just stood there, just outside the doors, watching me as I walked the full thirty yards or so to get to them. This took a moment, so seeing them stare at me for an awkward amount of time was pretty weird, to say the least. When I made it to the glass door, I saw that it was a woman. She appeared to be in her twenties. She was attractive and bore a big smile, which was quite warming to see, until I got a better look at her eyes. They were solid black, like someone had managed to pour a gallon of black food dye into her eye socket. When I saw this, I froze, and after a moment I opened the door slightly and spoke. May I help you? We're closed for the night. She didn't hesitate to reply, nearly interrupting me. May I come in for a moment? Her voice was so monotone 
while her expression was very animated. It seemed so off-putting. We're closed, I repeated. If you need to use a restroom, there's a McDonald's just a block that way, I pointed. You're going to die, she said. Her smile didn't change. The hell did you just say? May I come inside for a moment? There's not much time left now. Chills ran down my spine. I immediately closed the door and began locking them. There were about eight doors there. Four sets of two doors, and I was at the leftmost set. As I worked my way down locking each set, she followed me to each one, still smiling. I started walking away, considering calling the cops. Before I rounded the corner to the last set of doors, I looked back, and she was still standing there. I rounded the corner, speed walking to the doors. I was terrified she'd be there when I looked, which wouldn't be possible. It would take her much longer to get to these doors from the outside, due to the auto shop attached to that wing of the building. When I made it to the doors and looked up for my keys, I nearly screamed. There she was, right up against the glass with those black eyes and that eerie smile. I quickly locked those doors, then retreated to the security office, never looking up and never looking back. I was good to go home, but instead I clocked out and waited two or three hours, checking the corridors often. I never saw her, but I didn't believe for a second that she was gone. When I did have the courage to go to my car, I ran full speed like a scared kid. It was the creepiest moment of my life, and I'm so glad to not have to work there anymore. If you want me, Darkness Prevails, as a security guard for you, just call 1-555-555-DARK, and I'll come protect your stuff badly. That's 1-555-555-DARK. I'm the perfect protector, if you really hate the things you own. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own, Share it with us at darkstories.org. I'd love to hear stories about RVs, campers, mobile homes, and trailer parks. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about five terrifying things seen in the wilderness. Cody Tyner says, Dang, why can't you make more during the weekend when I'm not working? I'm trying to. Depending on the stories and the quality of writing, it can take between five to eight hours to put together a single episode. But I agree, the more episodes, the better. Trent Lindsay says, Oh, I made it to number four. I'll take it. Greetings, Earthlings. Please, alien Trent Lindsay, just take me off this planet and dump me somewhere better. Like the burnt side of Mercury. Thanks. Christina Felger asks, Why do we have to tie ourselves to trees? Well, if you want to really see some scary stuff in the woods, but you don't trust yourself to not run away when the creepiness goes down, you've got to tie yourself up. Trust me, I've done it once. Lindsay says, Bigfoot's toe hair would be better. Well, I've already got plenty of that for the both of us. 
It's always getting knotted up in my socks. And AJ King says, So, uh, any hunting stories? Heck yeah, we've got tons of hunting stories. Is that what you guys want next? Let me know in the comments. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. The Jersey Devil isn't the only thing that haunts up the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. The Pine Barrens is an eerie stretch of wilderness covering more than seven counties. It's named for its nutrient-poor, acidic soil. You'll soon see that, despite the Barrens being heavily forested, many things have trouble surviving there, especially people. Today I have five allegedly true and extra creepy stories from the Pine Barrens that will haunt you for weeks on end. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. We're looking for stories about mobile homes, trailer parks, RVs, and Halloween. Now, let's begin. Demon Cat and the Haunted Church, Experience One, from Anonymous. It was Friday evening, and me and my two friends were riding around our town with a feeling of freedom, enjoying our temporary release from school. It was a nice evening that day, medium temperature with a cool breeze. My friends Cheese and Cousin, I'll nickname them that, we were all at Cousin's house, when we were getting pretty bored. We chatted for a while, debating about what we should do with our time. We eventually settled on going to our other friend's house, uninvited of course. But Cheese was courteous enough to call him up first. That friend, unlike usual, picked up, letting us know that he was busy with his girlfriend. We missed the guy and we were beginning to get fed up with him always ditching us for his girl. I mean, heck, she could join us if she wanted to. So now that we had nothing to do, well, again, we rode off into the evening sunset, discussing girls and the typical teenage stuff. Cheese said, Well, if we ain't got nothing better to do, let's go take some pics of those creepy abandoned buildings behind the liquor store. I personally had no idea exactly where he was talking about, but Cousin did. We decided to go there, and I'd say I regretted that decision. We took a trail along a busy road called the Rail Trail. It used to be a railway line. The sun was beginning to set now, 
and the temperature was beginning to drop. I kept complaining, saying we should turn back and go home, but Cheese and Cousin insisted we were close. After half an hour of a ride, we reached the nuclear power plant in a town south from us. After crossing a bridge, we made it to the liquor store they told me about. We rode our bikes to the parking lot out back and continued down some trails from there. By then, we were riding on a trail in the middle of the Pine Barrens. I forgot to mention we lived in New Jersey. It's the home of the Pine Barrens. Maybe the most mysterious and creepy dark woods in the state. Maybe even the country. As we traversed the dark path, the sunset had dissipated. All that was left was a gray, ominous gloom in the sky. We went past a building which I assumed was an abandoned junkyard, for there were lots of old trucks and containers around a warehouse. I consulted my friends, who told me this was not the place they were talking about. I thought to myself, who in the world would build anything so deep in the woods, especially these woods? We passed the building and automatically made a left, going around a few concrete barriers to keep cars from taking the dirt road. After a minute or two of pedaling down the trail, we made it to an open area. There were two buildings here, one massive warehouse and a smaller brick building. We began to climb the little brick building for the warehouse was too large to climb up. My friends took pictures and then we began to explore the large warehouse. We were disappointed to find only piles of garbage and graffiti, although some of the demonic writing on the floor and wall worried me. Our friend called right as we were ready to leave, and he told us to not go into his house. He thought we broke in like we always do. We laughed it off and hung up. We had no intentions of going to his place that night. That's when my friend's phone died. Mine hadn't been charged, nor had my cousin's been charged. My heart sank when I realized we'd made the poor choice to come out here with a bunch of dead cell phones. We thought we were screwed, but luckily I had one final light source, a detachable taillight on my bike. It gave everything an ominous red glow, though, but hey, it was better than nothing. We continued down the trail with me in front, giving a little bit of light. This is when things started to head south. We began to hear noises in the brush of the woods to our right. We all jumped when we heard it, feeling on edge. We panicked for a moment, but calmed down quickly, convincing ourselves it was just an animal. Just as the goosebumps began to fade, we heard another sound. One that was otherworldly. It was accompanied by more rustling and snapping from the same spot, and we were freaking out more than last time. We started pedaling our bikes like crazy. I had no idea what was out there, but between the red glow around us from my light and the sheer darkness just outside the light source, I was fearing for my life. What was out here with us? What would happen if it caught us? As my mind reeled from fear... I suddenly took a tree branch to the eye. My eye stung and began to water up. I had trouble seeing out of it immediately. We cut right and I had to go over a few dirt mounds. 
I fell as my friend Cheese literally rode his bike over me in a panic. I thought I was a goner, my eye burning and flowing with water, and now my body was bruised. My fear told me that the thing that was around us, it was hot on our trail. I had to get up. I had to manage to catch up with my friends. We passed the junkyard, and we were finally back onto a hard road. We thought we were safe. We continued riding, but my friend Cheese said in a worried voice, Guys, do you see that? It's about to cross. Me nor my cousin saw anything. That's when Cheese yelled and came to a stop. Cousin and I continued riding, though. We turned around and went back to Cheese, who sat on his bike scared and confused. He told us the thing crossed right in front of them, and then disappeared. He described it with a stutter, like a white cat-like animal of light. Me and Cousin were now as scared as he was. We thought he was seeing things. We continued on, even more creeped out. We finally came out of the parking lot of the liquor store, where we caught our breath. This didn't last long, though, because we really wanted to get out of there and go home. We continued down the rail trail. After ten minutes of riding, Cheese made the same yell and came to a halt again. Me and Cousin kept riding in fear of there actually being something this time. Cheese caught back up to us and described once again what he saw. I'd never had such chills. He said he saw a black object on all fours, crawling across the path, and just like the other being, it disappeared. We ended up reaching a convenience store, where we decided to catch our breaths again and warm up. Surely, by then, we were far away from whatever cheese had been seeing. I went to check my phone, but quickly remembered it was dead. I held down the power button to check. I stood in confusion as my phone that was dead half an hour ago was now at 48% battery. Had I misread it? I told my friends we were going and we went straight back to my friend's house. My legs burned from the long ride, probably about eight miles riding in total, but the sweet relief of sitting down at my friend's couch, it made me feel so much better. We fooled around until I began to think about the warehouse. We'd been in such a panic that I didn't realize what I'd seen. In a large hole in the side of the building, there had been a shadow by my foot. There was nothing in front of me to cast that shadow. But the shape of it, as I recalled, that's what scared me. Because it looked like a cat. One with no eyes, no mouth, nothing. I swallowed hard trying to forget what I'd seen. The three of us agreed to never go back in those woods again. But this agreement would not last. Demon Cat and the Haunted Church Experience Number Two From Anonymous Not long after our previous experience at the warehouse, we were hanging out at Cousin's house, when another friend of ours named Sink showed up. We told him our story, and instead of feeling creeped out like we had been, he seemed curious. Sounds spooky, dude. 
Let's go over to the graveyard through the woods and see what we can find there. I looked at him like he was crazy. But, somehow, Cousin and Cheese were up for another nighttime adventure. Giving in to peer pressure, I joined them. I didn't have much else to do. Making things worse, my friend Sink brought a Ouija board with them. I didn't like this, but I didn't say anything. This time around, we all made sure our phones were charged. Then we headed out. We walked about five blocks to the path in the woods. We turned on the flashlights. It was about ten o'clock then, and we were just about to walk through pitch-black woods with only phones for light. It was this portion of the journey that I feared more than the actual graveyard. We walked in a square formation, me and Sink in the back. In our fear, we locked arms. It was weird as we were both guys, but without a word we knew it made each other more comfortable. We soon saw lights approaching, and we finally exited the woods. I think we all sighed in relief then. The worst part was over, or so we thought. We had to walk a final five blocks to reach the graveyard. When we finally did, we turned the flashlights back on and entered the field of the dead. We walked down the paved path on what was the newer side of the graveyard. I told Sink to take out the Ouija board, but now he refused. This was scary enough for him. I smirked. We continued down the path, panning the graveyard with our lights, looking for anything. We made it to the opposite end of the graveyard. There was a church there, boarded up with no way of entry, and all the lights were off. Me and Cousin were looking at the headstones around the church. We found it rather interesting. Some of the gravestones dated all the way back to the 1700s. We then began to examine some of the gravestones at the front of the graveyard. I was confused as to why these particular gravestones were on the outside of the fence, as if they weren't actually part of the graveyard. But these seemed to be even older. We continued to explore when I was suddenly drawn to a spot on the other side of the fence. I went up to the fence, shining my light into the graveyard. Cousin did the exact same thing, without saying a word. I swear I saw something pass in front of the light, but I brushed it off. Eventually, we both walked away from the fence, not a word being said, but a bad feeling coming over the whole group. Sink began to panic. It was 11.16 at the time, and he realized then that he had to be home at 11.30. But we had a problem. Me, Cheese, and Cousin did not want to go. After a long discussion, we decided that me and Sink would walk the long way around the woods, while Cousin and Cheese stayed at the graveyard. We were about to split up, when we all froze. All at once, our gazes went to the church. Goosebumps covered my body. A chill flooded over me. Inside the abandoned church, a light had come on. When we all saw a shadow pass in front of the window, that was enough for us. I grabbed Sink, and we ran. Not seconds later, we heard the screams of Cheese and Cousin from behind us, but we sprinted all the way home, not looking back. I couldn't believe we didn't learn our lesson last time. Not to go out into the Pine Barrens at night. 
Some weird crap happens out here. Demon felines. Shadows possessing abandoned and completely sealed up churches. I don't recommend it for a night out. I saw something in the woods of New Jersey. From Sneeves, 0426. This encounter happened to my friends Ted and Alex and I, in a park between Central Jersey and North Jersey. I'm also of Native American descent, and I'm pretty sure that a few nights ago my friends encountered something I believe to be a skinwalker. On the night in question, my friends and I were hanging around driving when one of them suggested we should go to the park. This sounded like a great idea, as the sun setting over the lake there is quite gorgeous. We got to the park at around 7.15. We made our way through the trail up to the lake. Now, Ted was really into the supernatural and paranormal, so as we were walking, he was talking about this. He said he hoped we encountered something at the park, as we were on native land, after all. A few minutes later, Ted indicated that there was something ahead of us, and considering he had been talking about this stuff for so long, we assumed he was bluffing or trying to scare us. We didn't believe a word of it. Of course, we didn't see what he was pointing at. We continued walking, when we made the unfortunate decision to begin talking about the skinwalker, Ye Nod Lushiai, I winced when one of the other two said this, because you're not supposed to bring up the name of the skinwalker. Just speaking about it is said to bring one closer to you. As if on cue, we heard a sound behind us. I swallowed hard as the three of us turned and saw the most horrifying thing in our lives. Something tall, something skinny. It was moving very slowly towards us. The other two could not tell from this distance if it was another person or not, but I knew deep down. So as not to scare them, I told them that we should hurry and pick up the pace. We began to sprint down the trail, trying to lose the figure. When we turned around, it was still moving at the same pace. We thought we were safe then, so we began to slow down and walk. We were also close to a busy road, with a bunch of cars roaring past. Being curious, I looked behind us again to see if the coast was clear now. Surely, at that rate, we must have lost them. I nearly had a heart attack, as now the figure was only a few yards away. It had stopped making any sound as it moved. I screamed, my friends and I bolting away as fast as we could. We needed to make it back to the car. Out of breath, we managed to make it back to the parking lot. The only car that was left was ours, and whatever that thing was, it was still following us, and it definitely was no person. We made it out okay, driving off, scared but alive. But we should have never spoken its name. A day later... I was walking my dogs around my house. I saw a cat come out of the forest and started walking towards me. I quickly retreated back inside. I'd been told stories of the skinwalker, and having been pursued by one the day before, 
I was not taking any chances. These creatures are said to change shape. A few hours later, I picked up my friend Ted. Originally, we were going to go back to my house and play some video games, but as soon as we got to my place, he said he felt awful, dreadful. We drove around a bit. I was hoping he'd feel a bit better. But as soon as we tried to go back to my place again, he'd feel worse. We didn't really get to hang out as planned. The other day, he ended up telling me that whatever he saw at the park, he saw it again at my house, giving the same description as to its shape. Tall, skinny, faceless. The same thing we saw at that park. These encounters have since died down, but we've learned our lesson, a lesson you should know. Don't speak of the skinwalker, especially out in the woods, because the last thing you want is its attention. What Happened to Me at Mount Misery From Johnny Matt, 1986 This takes place more than a year ago, but I'll remember it like it was yesterday. I've always been a believer in the paranormal, but after experiencing this, I feel like it's opened me up more to the other side. It was 12 years ago in New Jersey, where I still live today. I was 20 years old at the time, and my mates and I had this tradition every other Monday of going to Pizza Hut and then going in search of places that were featured in Weird New Jersey Magazine. We'd heard about this one place called Mount Misery, and we thought it was the perfect spot to go, as it wasn't too far from us. We eventually made our way out there and pulled onto the dirt road that goes through Mount Misery. Now here's where things start to get a little weird, for me at least. We saw what looked to be a religious retreat or church that was owned by the United Methodist Church. So we thought, oh great, this trip is going to be a bust. But we were wrong. Once you drive past that, it's nothing but woods. Creepy as hell woods. We came to a fork in the road and decided to go right. But by then I was starting to think that this was lame. I was leaning against the door with my head resting on my hand. I closed my eyes out of boredom, and the next thing I knew, my body suddenly tensed up, and I got really warm. I started breathing heavily, and I started to feel aggressive and angry. Soon enough, it felt as if I didn't have control over my own body. My friend next to me asks if I'm okay. I look at him, and I fight back the urge to hurt him. Now my friends in the front are getting worried too. So the driver makes a U-turn to get out of here, and while he's making the turn, I begin to laugh, a deep, hearty, sinister laugh. My friends are freaking out, and I am too on the inside. It's like I can still see through my eyes, but something else entirely has control of my body. Just before we reach the highway, my body goes cool and limp. I'm breathing hard and I sit back in my seat. As soon as I'm in control again, I look at my friends and I ask, what the heck just happened to me? It was the most terrifying thing that ever happened to me, and I'll never forget it. I'm still not sure what happened that night. 
I've been back to Mount Misery after this, but I've never had that experience occur again. For the final story, I'll be re-narrating a tale from 2016, titled Camping in the Pine Barrens, from GW. I spent most of my life hunting and in the outdoors, so I know the various sounds. I can tell the difference between a deer and a person walking around. I'm also kind of good at tracking and would track my friends while hunting for the fun of it. The one thing that I never expected was for myself to be tracked in the woods at night. This happened a year ago to the month while out camping with my grandfather in New Jersey. I had just graduated school and was leaving for boot camp soon, so my grandfather wanted to go on one last trip with me before I was gone. The beginning of the trip went smoothly, lots of hiking and fishing. We went to the last place we were going to camp, and already it was getting kind of eerie. There was almost no other people here, and we were as far as you could get in. We got everything set up, and we ate, so I decided that I might as well walk down to the wash house about a mile down from us. The park had signs up about bears, so I had my knife on me. With it being New Jersey and all, we have really strict gun laws. I got down there no problem, only saw one person, and they were getting ready to head out. I took a shower, and by the time that was over, it was already dark out. Almost 100 meters down the road, the atmosphere goes south fast. It went from bugs making noise to dead silence, something I'd never experienced in my time outdoors. You know that feeling almost like a sixth sense of knowing something isn't right? Well, those alarms were going off in my head. I slowed down my steps to reduce sound, and I began to listen. About twenty yards to my right, something was parallel to me walking. My first thought was possibly a bird hopping in the leaves, but every time I would stop, so would this silhouette. Listening closely, I could hear it better, but I could get a better idea of it. I could tell it was large enough to snap branches, and also that it was bipedal. I was carrying a large hunting knife as my only protection, but I knew that it wouldn't do much if something like that was to jump out at me. I couldn't run no matter how much I wanted to, because I knew that it would catch me. The only bet I had was to keep the same pace and keep going ready to fight or run. I walked the entire way back like this. I couldn't tell anyone because who would believe me? I barely slept that night, expecting to hear it come closer and to see it in person. I've only told this story to a couple of close friends of mine, and they know that I wouldn't make it up. Now I want to go back there, to see if it'll come back, to see if I can actually see it. Stay out of the pine barrens. Creepy critters lurk there. Sour spirits dwell there. And some very irritating celebrities prowl the local shores. Seriously now, the pine barrens is an eerie place, and it's best for those who are well prepared and ready to see something weird. 
Good night. A little background on me. I'm a 19-year-old male and I was traveling with my girlfriend. We were on a road trip to visit my grandparents who lived a few states away. They said we could stay at their place for a few weeks over the summer and it seemed like a no-brainer because they lived on the beach. The path to getting there, though, was really long and it was a painful drive. My girlfriend and I both disliked driving, but we figured that we could take turns and it wouldn't be so miserable. I think the total time on the road was about ten hours. We were about five hours into the drive when we decided to stop off at a rest stop. I'm not going to lie to you. We stopped quite a bit. I'm a little compulsive with drinking water because I like to stay hydrated. As you might imagine, there are some consequences of being hydrated. It irritated my girlfriend, but not very much. I think she secretly liked that we were stopping on my sake and not hers, because she always seemed to buy something every time we stopped. This one rest area was not horrible or anything. It wasn't in a bad area or anything like that. It seemed like a very typical safe rest stop. But this is where one of the most horrifying experiences of my life took place, at least the first part of it. This has simply been one of the many times when I had to pull off the road to go pee. When I saw that there was also a McDonald's near this one rest area, I decided to wait until we got there. I normally don't eat McDonald's, but I let myself do it on special occasions like road trips. It makes the drive go by a little better, even if it makes my stomach feel like garbage. So, I went to the bathroom and she bought more cigarettes. We had already made our way to the McDonald's when we had our first appearance with Creepy Guy. We actually did talk to him a little bit. Let's call him Joe. Joe may have been the strangest looking man I'd ever laid my eyes on. He looked like he didn't come from this country or something. And not on a racial basis or anything, he just looked like he had a completely different lifestyle. As if he lived off the land and had never used electricity. His beard went all the way down to his stomach and... If you looked at it for long enough, you could see food particles in there, and some of them not even from a meal that he had eaten that day. So that should give you a good idea of his level of cleanliness. The rest of his outfit followed suit. A dark pair of jeans that looked like they hadn't been washed in a decade and a large leather jacket that looks like the oldest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure it actually wasn't that old, but it had a timely appearance to it due to it being in such poor condition. Anyway, we spoke to Joe because he awkwardly sat next to us at McDonald's. I thought this was extremely strange and it definitely weirded me out. I'm an introvert by nature and talking to people is extremely taxing. My girlfriend is an extrovert and always attracted people that were interested in conversation. I just found it strange because... I've never had someone randomly sit at the same table as me when they were complete strangers. I figured that it was because my girlfriend attracted talkers, but looking back, it was probably because we appeared to be easy targets. Joe sat down right next to my girlfriend and started asking us where we were going. My girlfriend, being the optimistic and unsuspecting person that she is, gave him the entire story. That we were basically five hours away from anyone that we knew in any direction. I tried to give her a look that she needed to shut up, but she didn't get the hint. We had already ordered our food and we were eating when he sat down. He didn't order anything, he just invited himself to our table and talked to us for the entire time we were there. At first he was rather polite but had a really thick accent that didn't seem like it belonged anywhere. 
I couldn't tell you where the accent came from because I've never heard anything like it in my life. And this is coming from someone who knows plenty of people from the North, Midwest, the South, Australia, and anywhere else. This accent just didn't seem like it came from Earth. After a painful experience of trying to get away from Joe, we got back in our car and started up on that journey again. As we got to our car, I also noticed that Joe had gotten into his car as well. As we had pulled out, Joe was a good distance away from us. I thought this was extremely strange, and the warning sign in my head went from flashing to high alert. I knew that we were in some kind of danger. I was driving and I tried putting the pedal to the metal. The next half hour or so, I had probably sped more than I did my entire life. I was normally a really safe driver, but this guy was really freaking me out. I tried telling my girlfriend that this guy was tailing us, but she didn't believe me. She thought I was just being paranoid. But what are the odds of seeing this guy at a gas station and then him being behind us for 30 minutes after we got on the road? She told me to pull over at the next rest stop and we would know for sure if he was trying to do us harm. Stupidly, that's exactly what I did. And my worst suspicion was true. He pulls off at the same rest stop and parked right next to us. My adrenaline was rushing as I got ready to fight this guy. I didn't know what else I could do. I told my girlfriend to call the police and then I got out of the car. He was easily a foot taller than me and he was a little older and probably not in the best shape. I had the benefit of being an athlete wannabe at my college. I did all the intramural sports stuff like that so I was in pretty decent shape but none of that mattered when Joe pulled out a knife. The understanding that he was out to do us harm and I was going to have to fight him. I waited for him to approach. About 30 seconds went by before he started walking in my direction. My heart was pounding. I started screaming every insult that I could. I called him a degenerate and an old man who was in way over his head and then I was about to whoop him. It didn't scare him though and when he got within 10 feet of me I thought it would be a good idea to tackle him. I was hoping to take him by surprise but I didn't. I tried getting him off of his feet and onto the floor but when I tackled him he plunged the knife right into my back. But that was the only good hit he got on me. I managed to get him on the floor and after that I started kicking his head ferociously. I don't know how I managed to do it but he was on the ground seemingly unconscious and I was standing there. I could feel the blood flowing down my back and I got back into the back seat of my car and yelled at my girlfriend to drive me to the nearest hospital. I was questioned a few days later at the hospital about what had happened. I guess the police showed up after we had left and found Joe still there unconscious. He was in a coma, and the police didn't know what to think. Once they got mine and my girlfriend's version of the story, they seemed to believe it, and so that was that. I don't know when or if Joe will ever wake up from that coma. And honestly, after he almost killed me, I kind of hope he doesn't. And it was an extremely traumatic experience for me and my girlfriend. The good news about the situation is that I can tell people that I put someone in a coma once and if they don't listen to me, they're next. I'm not sure if this is the creepiest or the most disgusting thing to ever happen to me, but here it is. I'm a 17-year-old female and this happened about three months ago. 
Me and my friends always liked to go to McDonald's after we had a good yoga session. You could call us regulars. We probably did yoga together two or three times a week, and it wasn't a class or anything. It was just me and three of my friends. We had another friend, Olivia, who occasionally joined us, but she was kind of flaky. If she didn't feel like doing yoga that day, we just went ahead and did it without her. We had been in this routine for a couple of weeks at this point, and we always looked forward to getting some nice junk food. There was something about McDonald's that was like the guilty pleasure of my entire existence. I normally didn't get it otherwise, but I really looked forward to the couple of occasions that me and my friends went there. But this one experience was horrible. I had been there enough that I started to recognize the people that worked there. I never had conversations with them, but I knew their faces well enough to spot when someone new was in the back working. That's exactly what happened this one Wednesday afternoon. I noticed this guy with really thin hair. He had a really creepy face, and I'm not sure how to describe it exactly. His eyes were humongous. They looked like the eyes of a bug. And then he had this really strange body language that always kind of freaked me out. It was like jumpy or something. If he was deep-frying french fries, for example, he would stand perfectly still for a second and then really quickly submerge them in one motion and it would splash grease all over. This was very unusual considering I had seen enough people put down fries that there was an easier way he could have done that. He didn't have to splash it like that. I was watching him one day and we made eye contact. It was really unusual too because I was looking at him as my mom's credit card was processing to pay for my meal. He had his back turned toward me. I was trying to figure out if I knew who he was, and then he just spun around to look at me, and it was all in one motion. It was just really freaky. So I started noticing him more and more. He was always working whenever my friends and I got finished with our yoga. It didn't bother me too much. My friends also noticed how weird he was and told me about similar experiences. It wasn't creepy enough that we stopped going or anything, but it was certainly enough to notice. I remember the day in particular. It was a weekend because I didn't have school that day. Me and my friends had just finished a really good yoga session and we headed over to McDonald's. Anyway, my friends and I ordered our food and were waiting for a few minutes. It took a little bit longer than usual, which isn't really an issue because we're not impatient or anything. But here was the weird part. They weren't busy. We were basically the only people in there waiting for food and... I think they had one other person who had already ordered who was sitting down and already eating. I didn't see any cars in the drive-thru and I just found the whole situation extremely bizarre. I had noticed that the creepy guy was working but I didn't see him for a very long time. He went behind a wall that I couldn't see him around and I wasn't sure why he did this either. Life went on and we got our food and sat down. I normally start by eating my fries and then have whatever my main meal is after that. Today it happens to be chicken nuggets. I got a ten-piece. As I was eating, I felt that creepy guy's watchful eyes looming over us. I felt really freaked out, and I convinced my friends to take our meal into the car to leave. As we left, I looked back to see him frowning at me. I didn't stop walking. Well, we got out there, and for a few minutes I felt like I was being paranoid, and I overreacted. My friends thought so too, until I looked at my chicken nuggets. I looked inside of the box they were in and 
They seemed to be covered in some kind of weird substance. I couldn't quite make it out, and I didn't know what to think. My immediate reaction was that they had put mayonnaise on it or something. Thankfully, I was smart enough to ask my friends before I took a bite. My one friend screamed, That freak jizzed on your nuggets. The more I analyzed the strange substance on my chicken nuggets, the more convinced I became that it really was, in fact, that. That certainly explains why it had taken so long for us to get our food. I didn't quite understand how he was able to pull it off, though. He was one of at least five other workers there. It's not like they would have just allowed him to do this, right? Whatever the case may have been, I didn't feel comfortable eating those chicken nuggets and I threw them out without hesitation. My friends and I were all really freaked out that this had happened to us. My friends threw out the rest of their food just to be on the safe side. We weren't really sure if we should have reported this incident to the police or something. We really didn't know what to do. We just kind of laughed it off as being one of those crazy life experiences and that was it. I haven't gone back to McDonald's since this whole experience. But yeah, that's the story of how I ordered chicken nuggets one time and the freaky guy working there put his secret sauce on them. Okay, I don't think you guys are even going to believe this story, but it's 100% true. Just happened last week. I don't know how else I could even preface this dumpster fire of a story, but here it goes. I'm a 22-year-old male and I live with my fiancé. We had a nice apartment, but we were really looking to buy a house. I know, a little young for that, but we both landed really nice jobs after college and figured that it's better to get it out of the way now and start settling down. We're kind of old-fashioned like that. My fiancé's grandmother owns a home and no one lives in it. She had it for about a year since a family relative passed away. No one wanted anything to do with it since there was a lot of work that needed to be done, like painting the walls and redoing the floors and just various tasks like that. It wasn't completely horrible inside, but there was enough work that it literally sat there for a good little while. Well, my fiancé and I started talking to her grandmother after buying the place. She told us that she would sell it to us for a low enough price that we would be able to afford all of the renovations and whatnot. We were really excited about it. It was really exciting to think we were going to have purchased our first home together so shortly after graduating from college. But here was the problem. She had a lot of people in her family who started feeling left out. It was my fiancé's aunt and her two sons. Their father had died shortly after the second son was born and the mother had a hard time coping with everything. She was a regular drinker and arguably an alcoholic. My fiancé told me that they were extremely negative people and after meeting them a few times at family functions, I was surprised at how right she was. They lived in government housing. She collected disability fraudulently and her two sons didn't work, despite one being 24 and the other being 19. There were whispers of drug abuse in there too. Suffice to know that these were not the kind of people you wanted to associate with. When word got out that we were buying the house from her grandma, they started feeling really left out. There were a few occasions where they'd try offering to watch the house. 
very obviously an attempt to get in there and do God only knows what. We politely declined and did everything we could to avoid them. I happened to be at the house one day. My fiancé was working and I work remotely online, so I was home alone. I had just walked down the street to buy a lemonade when I saw someone at her house. It was extremely unexpected. I got ready to confront a potential burglar when I noticed it was my fiancé's cousin trying to break in. He was startled when he saw me and froze for a minute. I asked him what he was doing and he told me something about thinking he saw a car he didn't recognize in the driveway. I explained that it was my car and he left without any big confrontation. As he walked away though I heard him start cursing under his breath. This was the point when I started feeling like we had something to worry about. Not feeling unsafe inside your own home is the worst feeling ever, especially being two young recent college graduates. We both worked really hard to make this happen, and the idea that it made us feel unsafe there really bothered us. I still didn't even understand what they wanted out of the whole ordeal. They didn't have enough money to afford the property tax alone. Forget about utilities and anything else. About two weeks went by without any kind of confrontation. I had falsely convinced myself that they'd finally leave us alone. I was dead wrong. We went to McDonald's one day, exactly one week ago today, the day I'm writing this. Me and my fiancé both just wanted to be out of the house for a little while. Considering we were in the process of buying a house, we didn't want to go eat anywhere expensive, so McDonald's just seemed like a logical decision. Now before I continue, I feel the need to explain something about my fiancé and I. We are normally very serious people. We work very hard and we're both kind of workaholics, but when we get together to have some fun, we go hard. Work hard, play hard, right? But we got kind of silly when we played. Let me cut to the chase. We were both playing in the ball pits at our local McDonald's. We always enjoyed goofing off like that and we weren't too concerned with what people would think of us. We'd only been messing around for five minutes when her cousin showed up at McDonald's too. It was creepy. He walked right in, looked at us the entire time. Before he even opened the front door, his eyes were stuck on us, and they felt heavy. My fiancé immediately knew something was wrong when my facial expression changed and she darted around to see what I was looking at. We both watched as her cousin made his way out to the ball pit. He stepped outside. As he walked, he moved his body to grab something out of his pocket. I couldn't see what it was, but my first thought was a gun or a knife. The look in his eyes told me he was out to do serious harm. He jumped into the ball pit in my direction. I luckily landed one solid punch in his face as he came down. It threw him off. I had an advantage. He kicked me in the stomach, but I landed a few more punches on his face. He started screaming for me to stop and that I was killing him. I would have kept going if my fiancé hadn't been watching. He started this, not me. We got out of the ball pits. He then began telling us that he was going to press charges on me for assaulting him. I wasn't even phased by this. There were plenty of witnesses there that had seen the whole thing transpire. I started telling him that I was calling the cops and I was going to press charges on him. He got really panicked and ran back to his car and drove off. I'm not going to lie to you. This whole thing really shook me up. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. 
I looked around online and found an easy solution. A restraining order. My fiancé and I had both gotten restraining orders on her aunt and her two cousins. I didn't know why we didn't think of this sooner. They really solved the issue, and once they understood that we had a restraining order against them, they buggered right off. I haven't seen or heard from them since. And thankfully, and hopefully, that's the end of my story. I was 19 years old at the time. I had a really good opportunity to go to college, but things fell through a couple of months into it, and basically, I wasn't allowed to go back at that college. I'm not going to go into the details, but I found myself stuck. I was living at home with my parents and working at McDonald's most of the time. I was really disappointed in myself, especially because I didn't have anyone else to blame but myself. I seemed to be your typical college dropout that ended up working at fast food. But while I was working there, I had a couple of really strange experiences. So the first one happened like this. There was this really creepy customer. He was an old man, and he just seemed like the most insane individual ever. You just have to think of the physical embodiment of Florida Man. He always wore this bathroom robe with a stained white t-shirt underneath. Or shoes. He had these really old Nikes that seemed like they had been completely covered in mud and never washed. Everywhere he stepped, there was some residue coming off of his shoes. I don't know how far he lived, but this guy came in to eat at McDonald's four or five times a day for as long as I worked there. I never personally had any horrible experiences with him. It wasn't like he was this unruly customer. He always asked for extra ketchup, but it's not like that was a crime or anything. The story is weird because I remember talking about him with some of my co-workers. I had one friend there that I became rather close with. I remember talking with her about this creepy guy that had just came in to eat McDonald's all the time wearing his pajamas. When you work with the public, there are so many people in faces that you see all the time, and none of them mean anything, it's just another customer. But when you have someone like this, it almost makes the job a little bit more bearable, as weird as that might sound, a little bit more consistency to the job. Plus, making jokes about someone like that was kind of fun. But there was one day when the jokes weren't funny anymore, because he stopped coming in. They couldn't find out why, either. I mean, when you see someone multiple times a day, every day for months on end, you get a little surprised when they stop showing up. It all just seemed, I don't know, unusual. I remember talking to my friend about it. Neither of us could imagine why he stopped. I remember getting a phone call at two in the morning that night, though. I guess my friend had gotten curious and looked around online. She's a bit of an insomniac. I guess he had been arrested on multiple drug charges. She had found a picture of him in the public database for our county's police department. In the mugshot, he was wearing that exact same bathrobe that we always saw him wearing. That was interesting. Really weird to think that someone I saw and interacted with multiple times a day was an actual dealer. But I guess that was that. My other experience working at McDonald's was really bad. Not going to lie to you. It really freaks me out and really made me question humanity. So it happened like this, right? I was working the graveyard shift. It must have been around 12 a.m. and we didn't have any customers. We already cleaned all the machines as much as we could and there really wasn't anything to do. 
We live in a smaller community, so there weren't too many people coming in to eat at such a late hour. We had a few here and there, but we were mostly just sitting around, particularly slow this night. I remember going over to check the garbage cans for the other side of the store. Occasionally, we would forget to empty that garbage pail. It was directly behind a booth and out of sight from the area we normally worked in. I remember going over there and there were two big bags of garbage that needed to be taken out. They were too heavy to take out at the same time, so I did what any sane person would do. I carried one out at a time. I remember bringing the first one. I threw it into the dumpster and I remember hurting my back a little when I did it. I went for a little bit of a theatrical throw and really felt it there. I went back into the store to get the second bag of garbage and I made my way outside. I got about ten feet away from the dumpster when I saw something that shocked me. I dropped the bag of garbage. I couldn't believe my eyes. There was a mutilated puppy. Its entire snout had been cut off. I wasn't sure if it was alive or not. It wasn't moving or anything. I took a step closer to try to see a little bit more and I just felt my heart drop into my stomach. It was the most horrifying thing I'd ever seen in person. It was definitely dead. It wasn't leaning up against the dumpster and it was just a horrifying thing to see. I ran back inside and asked my coworkers what we should do. We decided to call the police but they didn't really help much. We were really freaked out that who could have possibly done this and why they would put the puppy there of all places. The part that still freaks me out is that whoever had done this had been waiting for me to go back inside of the building and in the few seconds before I came back out, put it right next to the dumpster. I figured they must have been watching me. Didn't know what else to think about it though. Our McDonald's didn't have an outside camera other than the drive through so there was no hope of trying to identify the person that did this. But it still makes me sick to my stomach to think what that person could be like. This story happened a couple of years ago, about eight years ago actually. I was ten years old at the time and it's the reason I haven't gone back to McDonald's for nearly a decade. I never plan on going back there again, actually. The story itself is pretty unbelievable, but it is what it is. He didn't have to live through it, but I did. My mother worked a really decent job in the city. My father was out of the picture, so that left my brother and I to be taken care of by our grandparents most of the time. That's not the worst thing in the world. My grandparents are the best. But my grandmother is kind of a health freak. This meant that we weren't allowed to have any kind of sweets, soda, junk food, or anything else that was tasty. Their house was always a lot of fun, but we never got to enjoy the food that we really wanted. So whenever my brother and I were with our mom, we tried talking her into bringing us to McDonald's. We loved going there. I particularly loved the french fries, chicken nuggets, with a milkshake. I got that every single time I went. It was my absolute favorite. But as much as I loved that meal, this one experience was so bad that I never wanted it again. And it goes like this. My mom had gotten off of work a little early this one day and picked us up at 4.30 in the afternoon. This meant that she was going to be able to have some time to bring us to McDonald's, which we had been begging her to do. We made our way there and I remember singing some goofy song on the radio as we drove there. 
My brother and I were so excited that my mom was happy that she could make us happy. My mom was not a fan of eating in the car. She really liked her car and wanted to keep it clean, which meant no eating, so we went inside to eat. When we were in there, everything went just as you'd expect. We ordered our food, sat down, and ate. That's all there really was to it. The bad part didn't come until we started to leave. We were making our way out of the McDonald's when a Hispanic man with a really strange mustache started saying something to my mom. I remember him being somewhat incoherent because of a thick accent and many of the words were ones that I had never heard before. I immediately identified this man as problematic and could tell by his body language that he might be a threat. But after all, I was only ten years old and couldn't do a whole lot. My mom got my younger brother into the car, put his seatbelt on and closed the door. She told me to get into the car too. I can tell by her panicked tone of voice that she was extremely worried by this guy. No matter what he said, she didn't reply. My mom got into the driver's seat and started the car in the same motion and then went to close her door. But by this point, the man was already close enough that he could hold the door open and stop it from being closed. My mom started telling this guy to back off, but he only got more aggressive. He started saying stuff like, You can run from me, chica, and other stuff like that. That was one of the only phrases I remember him saying. Again, a lot of it was incoherent to me. My mom never did get her door closed until she started backing out anyway and knocked this guy onto the floor. I guess he wasn't expecting her to actually go, but this only antagonized him even more. I remember watching him as my mom was peeling off. He got back up immediately and ran to his car, which was only about four parking spots away. He started it and started following us. He wasn't trying to run us off the road or anything, but he was definitely following us. I remember asking my mom what we were going to do. She said that I had to be quiet and let her think. Well, we drove around for about 20 minutes. I could tell that it wasn't the path to go home that we always took. I remember it feeling like a really long time that we were on the road. The sun started to go down and we all felt a lot of tension. My mom eventually had the good idea to go to the police station. She called the police on her cell phone before she got there and told them about the situation. When we got there, there were policemen waiting in the parking lot. Despite there being cops all over the place, this guy still followed us, parked right behind us, and got out of the car, running at my mom. It was honestly terrifying. Thankfully, a police officer had tackled him and they took care of him from there. They put him into handcuffs and took him somewhere into the station. They eventually brought us in and asked us questions about what had actually happened. My mom told them the whole story from start to finish and then we went home. It was really scary to experience as a kid and I still think about it sometimes. The craziest part is that this guy was confident enough to still go after my mom with police around in front of a police station. I don't know what kind of judgment he had, but whatever it was, it was probably impaired by drugs or something. A couple of weeks later, a lawyer had contacted my mom. He was trying to prosecute this guy for multiple crimes. He claimed that this guy who had tried to abduct my mother was actually a leader in some kind of gang. It wasn't MS-13 or anything, but it was a fairly significant street gang in our area. My mom told him no because it would mean putting herself and her kids in danger. She knew that 
there was going to be a risk of testifying against a gang member, and she didn't trust the police officers to keep her safe. My mom didn't tell me that last part until a couple of years later. I must have been about 15 years old when she finally told me. I totally understood why she refused. I'm not sure whatever happened to this gang member, but he did a really good job of intimidating people into not testifying against him. I can't even imagine the kind of person this guy was, though. Imagine going to McDonald's, seeing a mother with two kids, and then wanting to abduct her, and then being crazy enough to follow her on the road for a half hour and park behind her in front of a police station. And even then, he still got out of the car and ran toward my mom. I don't know what happened to that guy to make him like that. I just seriously hope that this prosecutor was eventually able to get him on something and locking him up for life. I don't know how people like that are able to roam the streets so freely. This happened a couple of years ago. I was a freshman in college, my second semester. I was kind of a loner, if I'm going to be honest with you. Still am. At the time, I had a small YouTube channel here where I made enough money that I didn't have to work a regular job. Most college students had to work fast food or whatever, and I was fortunate enough to not be one of them. Don't get me wrong. I was poor and still live with my parents, but I made enough online that I was comfortable enough. I remember my schedule was pretty hectic this second semester. I had a really long day on Friday. Every Friday, my first class was at 7 a.m., and my last class of the day was at 4 p.m. There were a couple of hours between classes throughout the day, and I think I had about four in total. I lived too far from college to be able to justify driving back home, so I just kind of had to wait around on campus all day long. It was only about four weeks into the semester when I was really tired of this routine already. I seriously thought about dropping one of the classes, but I figured that it was going to be worth it if I could graduate when I planned to. At the end of this particular Friday, I was starving. I didn't like to eat anything on campus because I didn't really trust the staff. I know that might be bad to say, but there was this one time that I ordered food from the cafeteria on campus and got food poisoning. They're a little infamous on campus, and there are a few people that regularly eat there. Understandably so. I just found myself waiting until I got out of class to eat. And then I can eat somewhere that I actually wanted to. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to eat after class, and I just settled on grabbing some McDonald's on the way. I was originally planning on picking up some at the drive-thru, but I also had to really go to the bathroom by the time I got there. I just figured it would be easier to go in and order inside. I always found it difficult to order at the drive-thru anyway. I had a hard time understanding what people were saying through the microphone, so I got in there, ordered my food, and I was good to go. I was just going to bring it into my car and eat as I drove home, but I noticed something weird going on. Right outside of the McDonald's, two people were having an argument. They looked like they were around my age, probably late high schoolers or college students themselves. I stood there for a moment watching to see if the argument between these two people escalated, and it did. The man started holding the girl's arms down and pinned her against the car. I was assuming it was one of their cars. I wasn't sure if they were together or what the situation really was. I didn't really want to intervene because it was somebody else's drama and not really my problem, but I got more and more anxious about the girl's safety. This guy was a lot bigger than her. 
He at least had a foot of height, and he looked like he was an athlete. I stood there for a few more minutes, watching to see what was going to happen. I couldn't really hear what they were saying, but I understood that the situation was getting worse. It eventually got to the point when he opened the car door and threw her inside. I mean, literally pushed her and flung her inside the car. She didn't scream or anything, but it looked very startling. It made me jump a little bit, and then he went inside the car too. They were in the back seat, and I immediately got suspicious when he closed the car door behind him. I heard the girl start screaming from inside the car and immediately knew that I had to do something. I put my McDonald's food down on the sidewalk and then ran over to the car. I opened the car door and he was very obviously surprised that I had done so. I saw that he was about halfway through taking off his belt. I punched him in the back and this antagonized him. He struggled to get out of the car so that he could fight me. Thankfully there were a few other people who had gotten involved before me and him had a go at it. There were two older men in their 40s who happened to be walking into the McDonald's that turned around and came over to help. When the other people started getting involved, he got anxious and just got in his car and drove away. I asked the girl what had happened. She told me that she didn't know that guy and he was just some random freak that wanted to use her. She claimed that he asked her to do it, but when she declined, he started getting confrontational about it. And I guess that was when I had noticed what was going on. This guy wasn't very smart. We were eventually able to identify him and he was eventually charged with assault. The situation could very easily have been bad. If I hadn't intervened, he may have been able to do God knows what to this poor girl. It's crazy to think that such a horrible crime was almost committed in such a public place. I mean, people are always at McDonald's. The thought that someone could even attempt such a violent and repulsive act in public like that blows my mind. The girl thanked me profusely as I had just saved her a lot of physical and psychological torment. I told her that I didn't do anything special and that I was just trying to do the right thing. I witnessed someone end their life at McDonald's. It happened a couple of years ago and I don't really like to think about it too much. I thought sharing my story with people online would make it a little easier, so here it is. This is kind of my attempt to make peace with the situation and I hope that the soul of this poor man is resting in peace. I don't remember a lot of the details, it all seems really fuzzy, like it was all just a bad dream that never should have happened. I do remember some stuff though. I remember it was raining. It was two weeks before Christmas. I remember that I had just finished working overtime, so it was pretty late. I wanted to grab a quick bite to eat, but didn't feel like eating in my car. I always hate doing that, especially because of the smell, so I went in. I got a Big Mac from McDonald's. I was sitting in the corner of the store when I noticed a really tall man walk inside. He was dressed in standard winter clothes and had a long blue hat on. There was a lot of empty space inside of the hat on top of his head, and I don't remember exactly why it caught my attention. I watched him for a few minutes. I wasn't particularly interested. I was just sitting there eating and didn't really have anything else to look at. My phone was dead and he was the only other customer in the McDonald's at the time. His body language stood out to me, though. I could tell that he was not in a good frame of mind. I mean, looking at this guy for a minute told you everything you needed to know about him. He was suffering and in a lot of pain. I'm not sure exactly what kind of pain, 
I could only make guesses. Maybe his wife had left him. Maybe his kids died. I'll never know what happened to him. All I will ever know is that it was bad enough to push him to the very edge and enough to make him jump off. He stood in front of the cashier for a few minutes while he appeared to be looking at the menu. To this day, I don't know if he was actually considering ordering anything or if he was just waiting for the right moment to. So, this was the layout of the store. On one side of the McDonald's, there was the counter where people could order their food, but the counter area didn't take up the entire wall. There was a separation between that and a small hallway that brought you to the bathrooms. I was on the other side of the McDonald's looking on. He had been standing there for a few minutes when he randomly decided to start walking down the hallway. He moved really slowly, like he was really trying to take his time. Step by step, he came closer and closer to death. And the weirdest part about the whole situation was that he didn't seem sad, didn't feel like he was depressed. It was more of an apathy, like he had suffered so much that he just didn't care anymore, couldn't bring himself to bother with being alive. I don't know, maybe I just feel that way after having thought about this experience so much over the last few years. As he continued down the hallway, he got slower with each step, finally coming to a halt in front of the men's bathroom. He stood there for about 45 seconds. I'm not sure what he was planning on doing. My first reaction that was that there was some kind of sign in front of the men's bathroom that it was closed, but that wasn't the case. I saw him pull something out of his coat pocket. He very slowly pointed it at his head. It was a pistol. It wasn't until I heard the gunshot that it registered what was happening. I saw blood go all over the place. His body fell to the floor with a thud. I screamed. I didn't know what else to do. I remember vomiting everything I had just eaten on what was left of my meal. If I hadn't been so disturbed, I would probably have been extremely grossed out, but I was in an absolute state of shock. I started speaking with one of the employees after a few minutes had gone by. He screamed what had happened. I told him that he pulled a gun out of his pockets and shot himself with it. One of the employees there was convinced that he had been shot by someone else, strongly hinting that it was me. I didn't quite understand why they thought so. Some disgruntled old woman, she was old, and told the police that she didn't think that the guy ended his own life. Whatever her motivation was, it really didn't matter. The police didn't take her very seriously from the start, and... This obviously was done by his own doing. The security tapes proved as much. I'm not going to lie. It really bothered me that she had to make an already bad situation worse. I already answered some of the questions from the police officers about the story. I remember driving home that night. I remember how alone I felt. This had really taken a toll on me. I pray for that guy's soul every day. I really hope he's in a better place. I can't imagine how horrible things must have been for him that he would have offed himself in a public place like that. I haven't eaten out since this whole experience. I have the strange fear that I'm going to witness another one in public like that. I know it's not rational, but I definitely feel that way. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why this happened. And I probably never will.
For reference, I work as a barista in a coffee shop inside a larger store. I'm one of a handful of male baristas at my shop. I am gay and very open about this. I wear pride shoes, I have a pride flag attached to my name tag, and I have a couple of wristbands with rainbows and phrases like Orlando Strong and a local LGBT plus center. So the other day I was working my shift at the register. A gentleman comes up to me and smiles. I think he noticed the pride flag on my name tag, but he didn't explicitly mention it at first. He says he doesn't know what to order and asks me for my opinion. I'm not particularly a coffee drinker, but I know what drinks fit what tastes, so I ask him what he likes and I try to give him recommendations. As I'm talking, I can tell he's paying more attention to me than what I'm saying, which I'm completely okay with. He was a shorter but well-built man, had beautiful eyes and a nice beard, basically the perfect dilf. Eventually he decides on a super sweet ice drink that we have and I go to make it for him. As I'm making the drink, one of my co-workers leans over and whispers, I think that customer just took a picture of you. That was a bit of a red flag, but I thanked her and kind of brushed it off. I give him his drink and he smiles. He points to the pride flag and says, I love that flag. Where can I get one of those? I laughed and said I got it from a pride event I went to a few years ago. He then said, Where can I get the person that's attached to? I immediately feel a rush and I start blushing, but trying to act professional, I brush it off. He eventually takes his drink and sits at one of the tables. I continue going out about my day, debating whether I should give in to this guy or not. Every now and then I would glance at his table to see him looking at me. No matter when I looked, it seemed like he was looking at me. I started to get that weird feeling of heart eyes with red flags. Then I noticed that he hasn't taken a single drink out of his coffee. Remember, it was an ice drink so I could see the clear plastic cup. When I have a break and go to wipe down some of the tables, I stop by his table and ask if he didn't like the drink. And if not, I could make him a new one free of charge. He hands me the drink and mentions he's not sure if it's too sweet for him or not and asks me to try it. I politely decline, telling him I don't drink coffee. He's shocked and asks me why I'm working here and blah, blah, blah. As we're talking, though, his questions start to change. So do you lift at all? No, not really. Well, how much do you think you could lift if you had to? Uh, the job requirement is 50 pounds, so I guess at least that much. Well, I learned that it's good to be able to lift at least half your body weight. How much do you weigh? Immediate red flags go off. There was something about the combination of the drink and the two questions that made me feel like I was being asked how much of a fight I'd be able to hold, especially if I was drugged. I've been drugged at a party before, and these things are red flags that I've learned to pick up on, so I kindly and quickly end the conversation and go back to cleaning up tables. As the hours go by, he continues to sit there, not drinking his drink. Other employees and a couple of managers ask if everything's okay, and he says he's perfectly happy. Every now and then, he takes a phone call, and at one point, I swear I can see a guy on his phone at a different part of the store talking opposite of the guy at the table. Suddenly, I start to feel like there are more eyes on me than I realize. I pull one of my managers to the back and tell them I'm getting weirder and weirder feelings about the guy, 
and the manager says we'll keep an eye on him. Now I was closing on this shift, and so as we got closer and closer to closing time, I noticed him still sitting there. When the announcement that the store is closing in half an hour is made, he comes up to the counter and asks if he could walk me to my car after I get off. I tell him our closing duties take us at least 45 minutes after we close, and he says he'd be happy to wait. I politely decline, and he asks when I work next. I tell him I'm off for a couple of weeks. Well, then I feel like I should walk you to your car, especially if I might not be able to see you for a couple of weeks. No way. I politely decline, and eventually he leaves. I finish my closing duties and head to the employee area. As soon as I get down there, I tell one of my managers about the situation and ask if I can take the side exit from the store. At our store, we exit out one of the main doors after we close, but there's a single door that we use to get into the building before we open and that managers use to get out after we close. He agrees and tells me he'd walk with me to my car to make sure I'm okay if I'm cool with waiting a little while. I am. So I walk out the side doors with a couple of managers. I get into my car and as I'm driving away, I see a large van with extremely tinted windows parked in front of the front door. The passenger window rolls down oh so briefly as I pass by, and I'm instantly able to make out that the passenger is the same cute but creepy customer, and there's clearly someone else in the driver's seat. There's no way to know for sure the customer's intentions, or if maybe he was just coming from work or not, but I knew that I was not about to stay to figure out and I took a long and winding path home that night. When I was in third grade, there was this girl in my class. She wasn't particularly liked by anyone as she was quite the bully and overall a rude person, even to adults. She was known for having anger issues and getting mad at people for what seemed like no reason. I was no exception. Her name was Carly. She had been mean to me in the past, but that didn't deter me from going to her house one day after she had been nice to me all day at school. Naive, I know. So before leaving school that day, I called my mom to ask if I was allowed to go to Carly's house. She said yes and to call her when I get there so I can give her the address. Now when I think back, I wonder if she had a bad feeling about the situation since she doesn't normally ask for the address and she isn't picking me up since Carly's house was about two blocks away. When I got there, after calling my mom, of course, Carly insisted of making me look pretty, a.k.a. wetting my hair and brushing it. I let her. Then she told me to close my eyes and that she was taking me to the living room. I closed my eyes and she began to guide me towards the bathtub. We were already in the bathroom, so the tub was a solid two feet away from where we were standing. I opened my eyes just enough to see where she was guiding me. My foot hit the side of the tub and I said that this doesn't feel like the living room. She said it was and that I just need to step over the gate. I tell her that I know this is the bathtub. She stops trying to get me into the tub and brings me to the kitchen instead. She says she's going to make cereal. I was standing behind her when she reached into her dishwasher and said she was grabbing a spoon. The way that she clarified that she was grabbing a spoon immediately told me what she was really going to grab, and it was for sure not a spoon. 
I can still remember the feeling of dread that overcame me when she said those words. She pulls out a large knife and backs me up into a counter, holding the knife only inches away from my neck. I can't remember if any words were exchanged during this. Maybe I was just too shocked to say anything. I only stayed there for maybe 30 seconds before I pushed her aside and ran towards the door. I grabbed my backpack and put on my winter boots. By the time I had my boots on, Carly was trying to block the sliding door. I rushed past her again and flung open the door. I ran down her patio steps and out her front gate, not bothering to close it. I just wanted to get home to where I was safe. I remember her yelling at me as her dog escaped through the open gate. I didn't care. One of her neighbors who was in their front lawn waved and smiled at me, clearly oblivious to what had just gone down. I ran down the road into my house, not stopping once. It wasn't until I was in the door of my house that I broke down. I began to cry and yell for my mom. My two older sisters yelling at me to shut up. My mom walked over to me and immediately knew something was wrong. I explained what happened and she was very understanding and freaked out. I can't remember if it was the same day or the next day that I had to talk to a police officer about what had happened. He asked me what kind of knife it was and what not. I think my mom relayed most of the story to him because I don't remember having to say much. They got in contact with Carly's foster mom and Carly got in big trouble for it. At the school, Carly yelled at me for getting the cops involved and tried to guilt trip me by saying that her mom threatened to put her back in foster care if she did anything like that again. I told her I didn't care. The school was also notified of the situation and the teachers were made sure to keep an extra eye on her. But that didn't mean I wasn't paranoid around her. I made sure to keep my guard up for the rest of the school year. Which was true. She had it coming. I always thought that it was a bit extreme to involve the cops, but I ended up making Carly never mess with me again. I ended up moving after that year for unrelated reasons, only to move back before I started sixth grade. The first day of middle school, I was awaiting for them to call my name, so I knew which class is my homeroom when I hear an all-too-familiar name, Carly, and then her last name. I watch as no one goes up to join the class. Was she not here? Next, I was called. I go up to join the class that she would have been in. I found out later when the teacher was doing attendance that she had moved three hours away just before the beginning of the school year. It's been three years since then, and I can only hope that she doesn't come back. But if she does, I'm not too concerned. And if she does, I'll make sure that she stays away from me. That incident has given me some trust issues, but at least now I know to choose my friends wisely. So this was about five months ago. I don't remember it with complete clarity, and I'm not the best at telling story events from my life, but bear with me. This was about 2 a.m. in downtown Denver. A friend of ours hosts a D&D session every Sunday. Me and my partner normally stay the night, but we had plans for the next Monday and had to go early. We say our goodbyes to everyone and grab our bags and head out. It wasn't a long walk at all to the car, not even a block away. Me and my significant other started walking and chatting about the session. Then we both got silent at the same time. Someone was behind us. I don't know how, but we both knew he was going to be bad news. 
He continued to follow us to the parking garage, and right before we entered, he spoke up with a, Are you ladies 18 or older? Now, I'm a bigger girl, 5'10", and more than knew how to hold my own against creeps. This guy struck me as different. He was a good foot taller than me, blonde, blue-eyed male with one heck of a disgusting smile. Me being the dumb, polite person I am, I said something like, Um, yes, why? And he proceeded to start saying things like, Do you pay your taxes? With a quick response of, Sorry, we aren't really at that stage of our lives yet. He quickly responds with a long rant about how taxes are terrible. You should never pay them. You're using our taxes to kill people all the time. The government is killing people. Everyone's killing people. And they get away with it so easily. At this point, he begins to move closer and closer to us. My partner's backing up into the garage, and my dumb self is too scared to move, just trying to keep him focused on myself rather than her. He gets within a few inches of my face. I try to casually step away, keep my movements looking natural, and straighten my back out, compensating for the fact that this person is larger than me. His breath was horrible. He could smell the alcohol with every single word that came out of his mouth, and his blue wristband was still on. Don't know if that's a bar thing. All I know is he had one. He continues on with his rant. My significant other tries to argue back a bit, he starts to move away from me towards her. After a few glances between me and her, we catch on that we just need to go with whatever this guy says. When she stops arguing, his rant goes from taxes to political figures and genocide. You know, I could kill anyone I want and get away with it. Anyone. Anyone can. The government is watching you, but they don't care. They'll never know. His words were not making sense at all. We're killing this planet, and it all could be solved if we just had less of a population. Mind you, this guy was back in my face, staying as close as possible. If either of us went on our phone or our washes, he'd shifted them. Not to compliment him, but he was really perceptive for someone I assume was drunk out of their mind. The conversation continues for about five, maybe ten minutes. It felt like an hour, though. I felt disgusted with myself for it, but I'm agreeing with everything he's saying at this point. He seemed to completely forget about my significant other. I introduced myself using my character name and shake his hand, which allowed me to see a bunch of track marks on his arm. I'm freaking out on the inside, thinking I'm going to get stabbed today. I've never even been in a fight. How do I handle this? All the while smiling and agreeing. Then his behavior shifted, still staying way too close to me, he starts scratching himself all over, reaching into his left pocket over and over every time he references ending someone's life. Honestly, at this point, I was more angry than scared and started trying to work around him as stepping back was just leading me to a wall. It wasn't working no matter how I tried to walk or where I tried to go, he was always right there in my face, talking about hurting people. He wanted that... It would solve the world's problems if people just went out and just hurt a few hundred others. I got fed up with it, stepped to my right then quickly to his left and backed up straight out of the garage. He followed, so did my partner behind him. We were finally out in the open again. I sent so many desperate looks to people walking by as he kept getting more and more pushy and ever closer to me so much as he was almost chest to chest with me. 
I don't know what came over me, but I grabbed my significant other's arm. Missed it by a long shot, she said, what I mustered the best smile I could, and said, I just wanted to hold your hand. As a gay person, either a few homophobic and crazy people encounters, this was the worst idea ever. She handed me her hand, though I pulled her by me, and this man that seemed like a huge threat backed up so quickly, saying, Oh, you two are together. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Have a great day. Great night. This boy had been doing whatever he was doing turned tail because we were gay. The one time my preference has ever probably saved me rather than put me in danger. We waited until he was far up the street then went straight to the car. The second we got in, we locked the doors and drove off. I was shaking the whole car ride home. We actually passed him and saw him twitching later on down the road. Me and him made direct eye contact. It was around 1.30pm when my dog started barking for me to take him outside. I put him on his leash and walked outside my first floor apartment, leaving the door unlocked behind me like I had done a million times before. Seriously, I never thought twice about it as I live in a really safe neighborhood in an extremely safe, almost boring town. In my 27 years of living here, nothing had ever tested that sense of security before. My dog is 15, so he moves a little slow and really loves taking his time sniffing around. He'll usually stop and pee three different times, and that day was no different. But suddenly a big white truck filled with lawn equipment slowed down in front of me. Hey, make sure you pick up after your dog. I looked up and saw a man in his late 40s or so wearing polarized sunglasses and a bandana around his lower mouth and neck. Uh, he just peed. I responded with a little bit of an attitude, like, Thanks, I got this, now drive away. I looked up again, and he gave me a wink and lowered his bandana to blow me a kiss before he drove off. He instantly made me feel uncomfortable. But as a young Hispanic female, I had been used to older Hispanic men being inappropriate and making me feel like that for years. It's just a sad reality. So once again, I thought nothing of it. I was walking back to my apartment when a woman came out of her apartment in the next building over and stood on her patio motioning for me to come to her. Now, I've never met this lady. I had seen her around the complex and she seemed nice enough, but ultimately I didn't know this woman. I've watched Dateline. I'm not going up on her patio. I asked her what she wanted and she just insisted I go over there so she could tell me. I told her I needed to bring my dog back inside, but maybe I could help her from outside where I was if she just told me. Next thing I know, this woman is freaking running towards me. I picked up my dog, ready to run home myself, and then she stopped probably five feet away from me. Please listen to me. A man walked into your apartment while you were walking your dog. I think he was one of the mowers. I was sitting in my car when I saw him walk in, and I know you live there alone. I called 911. They're on the way. I could feel my face burning as I tried to process what I'd just heard. I'd watched the man I had talked to drive away. I didn't see his truck anywhere. How could that be possible? What I didn't realize was that while I was talking to him, he had positioned his truck right in line of sight of my apartment. I couldn't see my door, so I was distracted and looking away while another man walked in. 
If my neighbor hadn't happened to be sitting in her car on the phone, I would have walked into my apartment completely unaware that someone would be inside waiting to do God knows what. I'm so thankful she was so observant even prior to the incident because she knew there shouldn't be anyone else in that apartment and had a gut feeling something was wrong. The police arrived not even five minutes later and arrested the guy. He said he had my permission to use my restroom, which was obviously not true. Since my door was unlocked and we can't prove for sure what his intentions were when he entered, he was only charged with trespassing. That's a misdemeanor in my state and he did no jail time, which obviously freaked me out because this guy knew where I lived. The man driving the truck technically did nothing wrong, but it's scary to think that they might have been working together. I stayed with my parents until we were able to find a legal loophole to get out of my lease and move out of that apartment. I moved into a house with an old friend and got a ring system installed that same day. My dog has a backyard now. My dad mows the lawn for us and I still get coffee with the neighbor who called the cops for me. This happened about two years ago. I was hanging out with my friend Ivana at a bar in Manassas. It was around 9pm and we were just chatting and getting a few drinks. She was telling me about a guy she's been talking to on Tinder. She showed me his photos and a glimpse of their conversation. His name was Omar and he seemed like your average guy. He was pretty attractive. They've been talking for a few days now and haven't met up yet. She tried several times to get him to text her outside of the app, but he would give her the same excuse. I want to give up my number to a stranger I haven't met yet. It's a bit unusual, but totally understandable, so I told her that he's being smart. She was on looking at her phone for a few minutes and then squeaked, Oh my God. I started giggling and asked her, Jesus, what was that? Did he send you like a wiener pick or something? She laughed. No, but Omar wants to meet. I told her to go for it, and if she wants, I can leave. She said, He wants me to come over to his house. I immediately said, Oh, no. She seemed to agree and continued to respond to Omar. I was now hesitant of leaving because a part of me is scared that she would change her mind. I told her to tell him to meet her at the hookah bar across the street. She thought it'd be weird to meet him with me with her. I told her I'll head over there after and act like I don't know her and just sit across from her. She said okay and left. It was now 10.20 and it's been about 15 minutes since she left. I proceeded to go across the street. I entered the hookah bar and after ordering my blueberry mint hookah I looked around trying to find her. I saw her sitting at the table closest to the door across from Omar. I sat at the table across from them and started smiling from excitement because I found this whole thing so entertaining. I have a great view of her face and his back. Ivana seemed to be happy and laughing while talking to him. She was really cute. I got my hookah and I just sat there playing with my phone. I was texting my boyfriend and telling him what was going on. While it was mid-typing, I got a text from Ivana. Amy, I don't know about this. I looked up and saw her face. She seemed pretty uncomfortable. Being the nosy friend that I was, I asked what's wrong, and she responds, He keeps asking me to come home with him. I smirked and responded, Ooh, he's trying to get some. 
She wasn't looking at her phone for a couple of minutes and I saw her stand up. She smiled at him and headed towards the bathroom and she called me. Amy, I need to freaking leave now. The smile disappeared from my face and I started to worry. She seemed genuinely scared. Whoa, what's going on? He asked me like ten times to come over and when I kept saying no, he laughed and said, Don't make me kidnap you. He's probably joking, but I don't know. He's probably just joking, but that's still pretty creepy. Amy, what do I do? I was about to answer when I saw Omar get up and walk towards the bathroom. I thought he was just going to the men's room, but that's when things got weird. He stopped right outside of the ladies' room and put his ear to it. Ivana, don't say anything else. He's right outside your door. At this point, I knew something is definitely wrong with this guy and we need to get out of there. He took his ear off the door and sat back down at the table. I reassured her that things were going to be okay because I was here and that we'll leave soon. Ivana came out of the bathroom shortly after and sat down in her seat. After a couple of more minutes of forced awkward conversation between them, it was time to leave. I saw them get up to pay and walk out the door. I got up to pay then left. I walked by the both of them standing at the front and just went straight to my car. I just watched them from my car making sure she's okay. I couldn't hear anything but from what I could tell she seemed to be fake smiling and I think trying to leave. She pulled out her phone and I saw him snatch it. He held it in the air laughing as she was trying to grab it back. He then started to walk backwards toward a blue car I assumed was his. She wasn't smiling anymore and her face was clearly upset. I rolled down my window to listen since there are now only a couple of cars in front of me. Stop playing around. Give me back my phone. Get in the car, Ivana. What? No, give me my phone back already. Get in the car now. I can see her crying now and all I could think was this had gone too far. I jumped out of the car and called my boyfriend. I walked straight to them and with my boyfriend on speakerphone I yelled at him. Give her her phone back and get out of here. He seemed startled and asked me who I was. Ivana was shaken up at this point but all I could feel was rage. I'm her friend and I've been here the whole time. My boyfriend's on his way. If you don't give her a phone back and leave before he gets here, then I swear to God, you're going to be screwed. He handed her a phone back and started laughing. I was just joking around. Jesus. He got in his car and left. I finally calmed Ivana down and let her spend the night at my place. We thought about calling the police, but we saw that he had deleted his Tinder. I was upset that my idiot self didn't bother to get his license plate. I'm not even sure if Omar was his real name. She told me that she paid for the hookah, so we didn't even have his credit card info. I've learned a lot of things from the scary situation in my life. This taught me that unless you know someone very well, always meet in public, and it never hurts to have a friend close by. This is a bit of an older story as I'm in my late 20s now and this happened while I was in high school as a junior. When I was 17 I was dating a kid who went to the same regional high school as me. He lived in a city that was next to my small town so the kind of environment we were used to were completely different. 
You could walk barefoot down the streets in my town or leave your front door unlocked at night. You could definitely not do that where he was from. One day our school has an early release day and myself and my boyfriend, we'll call him D, and his friend Jay all decided to walk to Jay's house to hang out. It was a long walk from the school to Jay's house, but it was in broad daylight and there were three of us so we didn't feel uncomfortable walking through the rougher parts of the city. I paid close attention to the route we took, walking along a busy and populated street with storefronts through an alley in the back of an old factory building repurposed to hold a boutique and a sports supply shop through an area with some construction. I'm normally bad with directions, but these landmarks helped me to figure out the path we took. We finally arrive at Jay's house and get some snacks, hang out at a local playground to use the swings, then Jay has to leave to go to guitar practice and Dee and I hang on our own for a bit. Dee eventually gets a call from his mom saying that he has to come home because of some dumb reason. His mom was pretty unstable and would ground him for the dumbest reason sometimes. This time she said that he hadn't told her he was going to hang out with friends after school, even though he did, and to come home immediately. Dee was pretty used to nonsense like this from his mom and was convinced that if he just went home really quickly and talked to her, that he could come right back to the park to hang out with me. He had me stay at the park because if he had brought me back with him, it would likely make her more angry. Well, things didn't go so well, and he hasn't been allowed to come back and get me, and I'm left on my own. So now I'm in this park, in the middle of the city, by myself. Okay, I say to myself, I know how to get back. Just go to the landmarks. This is how I have to navigate. I start working my way backwards through the streets we took, through the construction area, past the factory building, through the alley. It was daytime, but these were supposed to be the most sketchy areas our trip took us through. I made it through them just fine. I finally came to the busy street with the shops. Cars passed every few seconds and there were people coming in and out of the shops almost constantly. It was broad daylight and the area was well kept and neat. It should have been the safest way to go home, right? As I'm making my way on the sidewalk, a car pulls down a side street in front of me. I think that he's trying to merge onto the main street and into the traffic, so I stop to let him go. Instead of pulling forward, he rolls down the window. It's an older man, maybe early sixties. No real discerning features other than short gray hair. Seems normal enough, and he speaks to me. Excuse me. Do you know how I would get to Jefferson Street? I'm not from the city, so I honestly wouldn't know how to give him directions. But it's a pretty well-known street. There were tons of major businesses on that street. It seemed weird for an adult not to know how to get there. It was like not knowing how to get to Main Street. But I was a kid who didn't drive, so I didn't know. No, sorry, I don't. Are you sure you don't know how to get there? No, sorry. He pauses. Why don't you get into my car with me and you can show me how to get there? Wait, what? Now, if you've ever been in a weird situation like this, you might be familiar with that time-stop sensation. It's like you're looking at everything from far away for a moment and you can take everything in. In this moment, I'm thinking a few things. This guy just pulled up on a 17-year-old girl in broad daylight on a busy street. He's blocking my path. I just told him I don't know how to get to Jefferson Street, but he's now asking me to get into his car to show him how to get to Jefferson Street. 
What? Those little red flags are popping up everywhere. The buzzers and sirens and stranger danger lessons my parents taught me since I was in primary school are screaming in my brain. And if this guy's weird vibes didn't show up before, they were now. I didn't like what I was feeling. This guy was either a creep or just completely senile. I looked at the old man and am very wary of him. A part of me is telling me to turn around and walk away. Sorry, I can't. I'm gripping the strap on my backpack. His face changes. I had never actually seen this kind of thing happen before, where someone's face actually makes a shift, and this is the only time I've ever seen it. He immediately looks angry. He doesn't seem like a senile old man anymore. He yells, Get in the car! He confirmed the bad feelings in my stomach. For me, the adrenaline is now flowing, and I'm both scared and angry at the balls of this old man. I don't know why this came to mind, but all I could do was scream at him to screw off. I'm standing on the sidewalk with my backpack. There's barely anything in it other than my phone, notebook, and some toiletries. There's nothing I can use to defend myself. I'm trying to figure out how big this old man could be, but I can't tell. I'm 126 pounds soaking wet at this age with little upper body strength. I don't know if I can do anything if he decides to get out of the car. He's by himself, but what if he has a knife? I have to go in front or behind his car to keep taking this route home. If I do, will he try to hit me? Will he try to knock me down or back over me with his car? It felt like all these thoughts were happening in an instant and I was confused. I just want to go home. He stares at me from inside the car with this look of anger, but he doesn't say anything. It's just silent between other than the sound of the cars going by, and he's just staring. It was only like this for a few seconds, but it felt like forever. Once the road is clear, he peeled out into traffic and was gone. I was left standing on the sidewalk of that busy street, confused, tired, and shaking with adrenaline. I just keep thinking to myself over and over again, what was that? I'm not sure whatever happened to that man. I'm sure he had some sort of plan figured out. Find a girl, ask her how to get to a well-known street, let her list off the directions, pretend to be a feeble old man that needs help getting there, and hope she's naive enough to accept your request of being the co-pilot. I don't think he was counting on someone not knowing how to get to that street. I really hope he didn't go on to perfect this method and use it on some girl or boy in the future. I think back on this now and I wonder if I would have reacted differently. I wish I had seen his license plate at least. I don't think that just because you're on a busy street in broad daylight that you're safe or that nothing could happen to you. Keep your eyes peeled, be prepared, and don't worry about not being polite. When your gut is telling you something is up, listen. For context, I'm a girl and the major part of the story happened when I was in 8th grade. I lived in the same house from the age of 4 until I turned 21. It was a duplex, meaning there were two houses on the same property with a large backyard. Our property manager had turned part of his garage into a small bedroom and had rented it out to a man. My family moved into the home closest to the backyard when I was 4. 
My dad, being the friendly guy he is, made friends with a man living in the small bedroom across from our home. This man was older, maybe in his late forties, early fifties, always reeked of alcohol and cigarettes, wore glasses, and had crooked teeth. The works. Over the years, he'd watch me closely, in a creepy way. He'd only leave his door cracked open about an inch, and I'd see his glasses gleam as he watched me play with friends or by myself. He would always try to tempt me to come to him with money or candy. As I got older, I started inviting my middle school friends to my home. A few of them would comment on the weird man staring at us. I remember a time where I said, He's staring at us again. And one of my friends responded with, He's not staring at us. He's watching you. My best friend is Karen. Karen and I have always been super invested in Naruto. We'd always watched it in our spare time together. One of the characters, Jiraiya, was a super pervert who would lurk around women. Naruto called him Pervy Sage, so we started calling the creepy old man Pervy Sage as well. Sorry, Jiraiya. Late one night, maybe at around 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., when I was about 13 or 14, Karen and I were in my dining room area, sitting at the computer with my dog on my lap. My parents were at work. My older brothers were in their room. They shared the master bedroom. They were hanging out with their friends. I recall hearing my front door open but not thinking much of it. That's until I smelled the stench of cigarettes and alcohol. We looked to our left and saw him inside my home. But neither of us said anything. Karen and I were both in shock. He walked up to us and stood behind me. He began to play with my hair, asking what we were doing. Karen and I just sat there, not knowing what to say. He knew my parents weren't home. She blurted out we were ordering pizza online and typed in Pizza Hut on the search bar. She later told me if we ordered pizza, a grown-up would come and we could tell him or her what was wrong. The man did not budge. He continued to play with my hair. Karen got up and nervously said, I'm going to ask your brothers if they want anything on their pizza. And with that, she ran to her right straight down the hallway and bolted through my brother's door. I had just finalized the pizza purchase and heard her scream, Pervy Sage is acting weird. The man only spoke Spanish. I doubt he knew what she said. But with that, I grabbed my dog and ran towards my brother's room and repeated it. Pervy Sage is acting weird. Both Karen and I were blurting out how weird he was being and how he came in uninvited. I can imagine we both looked hysterical. My brothers told us to get the F out of their room. I'm not sure if they were trying to look cool in front of their friends, but I knew how they were. If I didn't do as they asked, I'd get beat up or told off. Karen and I looked at each other, sort of defeated. We closed their bedroom door and stood in front of it for a second. We looked back at where we originally sat, but the man was not there. Karen and I ran to the kitchen, grabbed two knives, and ran into my bedroom and locked the door. She sat on the bed with my dog, and I sat on the floor, trying to listen or feel if he was walking around my house. My house was old. It would easily shake when someone walked around, so I felt if I sat on the floor, I'd feel it if he were inside. My bedroom had two doors, one with a lock that connected to the hallway the other with no lock connected to my parents' room, which was right next to the front door of the house. Karen and I heard his footsteps in the living room once more than silence. We both looked at each other in horror. 
We both rushed to the second door and pushed against it just in time to stop him from opening it. The man pushed for about thirty seconds before stopping. The moment he stopped, Karen and I took the opportunity to push a dresser in front of the door to barricade it. About fifty minutes of us sitting on my bed, knives in hand, we heard the pizza guy arrive. With that, the man was gone, back in his hole of a bedroom outside my home. We locked the front door and ate our pizza. We didn't call the police because of where we lived. We thought, who'd believe two kids? A few days later, Karen and I reported everything to our school counselor. She was an amazingly caring woman. She was always there for us, no matter what we needed. So we trusted her enough to tell her what had happened. She made a full report and interviewed us both separately to make sure we weren't lying. She called us both into her office the next day and let us know that she had called the police to report the incident. But they told her. We cannot do anything until something actually happens. Karen was furious. Are we supposed to be found dead in a ditch for them to do something? I can still hear her saying this to this day. Our counselor called our parents to report the incident. Karen's parents didn't seem to care. Their divorce was more important. My dad asked if it was true and said he talked to the guy. My brothers came to me saying, "If he comes near you, you tell us." And all of a sudden, they cared. My dad remained friends with the man. The man stopped talking to me for years, but never stopped watching. When I was 16, Karen and I were hanging out near the front of the property. The man had ridden his bike near us and said, "Your attitude has changed." He said this in Spanish. This was the first time he said anything to me since the event two or three years prior. So I told him, I'm "Not a kid anymore. I know what you are." I can fight back. Karen glared at him. He moved away shortly after. Karen and I lost touch after he moved away. We both went to different high schools, and for the first two years, we tried our hardest to remain in contact, but we grew apart. That and her mom had her moving from place to place after the divorce. I grew up with trust issues around men due to that man. Just something I'm slowly trying to get over. I'm 24 now. The last time I saw him, I was in my dad's car, and he was riding his bike down the street. But that was back when I was about 18. I haven't seen him since. So a few years ago, my boyfriend's dad's family decided to get together and all chip in to rent a condo in Ontario and get together. There was a big extended family over there that his dad never saw. Because he only really got along with one of his three sisters, my boyfriend's mom had talked him into going though, and they let me tag along because I'd been around long enough that they liked me and trusted me. I can't remember where everyone else had gone. I think it was the beach for what was possibly like the third time that day. It was just me and my boyfriend at the condo, 'cause we were kind of sick of the beach and just wanted to do nothing in the shade for a while. We were sitting outside, looking over the water, and just kind of talking about life. I had just finished reading the Harry Potter series, so we were just kind of talking about that for a bit. When this woman comes out of the brush beside the condo, just for an idea, this condo was about an acre of land, maybe. It was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. The front of the condo was probably seventy feet from a dirt road. No one traveled down really, and there were some dense trees and brush and whatnot that surrounded three sides of it. 
This woman comes out of the wooded area and I immediately knew something wasn't right. She was limping and she only had on one sandal and frankly looked terrible. She was pale and her face was gaunt. She was really, really pretty, but she just looked exhausted. The thing that immediately caught my attention was her baby, who she was holding pretty tightly in her arms as she started to come towards us. I didn't really know what to do, but my boyfriend immediately got up and walked over to make sure she was okay. I couldn't help but think of all the awful things that might have happened. After spending so many hours hearing these horror stories on Reddit, I was just terrified she'd do something. My boy is a lot more trusting than I am, though, and he's always had the first instinct of what's the problem and how can I help. He's never assumed the bad in anybody. So this woman is just sobbing by the time she gets to the porch of the condo, and she looks like she's just been through a war zone. She's shaking and hyperventilating and crying, and she's telling us that basically her boyfriend had been drunk for a while and he's been getting worse and worse, and he's been an overall abusive guy. He'd get angry whenever she was focusing on the baby instead of him, and part of what made him mad was that it wasn't his kid, so he kind of didn't care about the baby at all. She told us how this time in particular he was drunk and she was driving home. With the baby in the back seat, he grabbed the baby's booster seat and tore it out of the car and threw it out the window while they were driving. She got the baby out of the seat or something. I don't remember how because as she's telling us about how he started hitting her before she took the baby and ran, we hear this yelling and we turn and see this angry dude walking up to the condo and she starts losing it. Drunk and angry, this guy followed her to our condo and was starting to come up to us. He was trying to act like he wasn't mad. He was doing an, oh, you guys found her, thank you so much, maybe let's go home, kind of thing, but he was slurring his speech and not doing a good job of hiding how mad he was. My boy has always been a pacifist. Honestly, he's even kind of a pushover. He's really non-confrontational and tries to find a way to talk stuff out and come to an agreement before doing anything, but before I could even say anything, he's across the yard and approaching this guy. As much of a pacifist as he is, he's also huge. He's built like a football player. He's six foot three, and at the time, he was 230 pounds. I've known my boy since we were 10. At the time, we were 20, and we've been dating for just over a year. I knew him better than anyone. He's never done anything like this before, and he goes up to this guy and goes, Not another step, dude. And he's shaking as he says it. The guy tries to walk around my boy and goes, No, no, it's okay. I'm just here to take her home. And he steps in front of him and shakes his head. You're drunk, he said. So I'm going to pretend like maybe you didn't get what I just said. Don't come any closer. It's at this point the guy stops trying to pretend and he says something like, You don't know what's going on. That's my girlfriend and I'm going to take her home. And he tries rounding my boyfriend again. And one more time my boyfriend blocks him and goes, Stop. I've never heard this tone in his voice before or since. It was scary. It wasn't him. This guy tried one more time before my boy finally put his hand on his chest and pushed him back a bit, keeping his hand on the guy's chest. I'm telling you right now, you're not going anywhere near that girl and her child, so turn around and walk away. 
This guy was about five foot six, maybe five foot seven, so when he looked up to threaten my boyfriend, he had looked like a kid. The guy finally looks up at my boyfriend and he says something that I couldn't hear. My boyfriend said something aback and then the guy stared at him for a moment, like he was deciding whether or not to do anything. My boyfriend finally pushed him away and the guy stumbled back and then started pointing at me and the girl as he was saying something and then started to walk away. I didn't learn till the next day but the guy had told my boyfriend that he had a gun and that he was coming back and that he'd kill him and I if we stopped him again. My boyfriend's response to this changed depending on who's telling the story. Origin told me that he told the guy he'd feed him his own teeth, which made me laugh because he's such a dork and he got that from a movie, and ever since then the line he tells everyone else is, I'll be waiting. The woman was sobbing. The baby was sobbing and I was shaking because even though he didn't throw any punches or anything, I could tell that he was ready to hurt this guy if anything else had happened. We called the police and didn't really do much of anything outside of make sure everyone was breathing and take the girl to her sister's place. We didn't really hear much from her after, but I know my boyfriend sent her an email once or twice and she's married now to someone else and had another kid last time they talked. It was a really nice trip, despite that part and a fight my boyfriend's dad got into with someone in his family. But I had P-mail for the first time, and it wasn't too bad. In December 2013, during my sophomore year of college, my at-the-time boyfriend David had a fraternity dinner banquet that I attended with him. It was a nice event, requiring everyone to dress up. He was in a suit. I was in a dress and heels, this is important for later. We had a good time and then went back to his place to drop off the award David had won and changed into tacky Christmas sweaters for a party we had later that night. It was maybe 7.30pm, but given that it was December, it was already dark out when we pulled into the parking lot outside David's apartment. At his place there was one road with parking on either side, spots against the building and spots against the fence that lined the edge of the complex property. We parked in a fence spot with the trunk of our car facing the building, directly across from the stairs leading up to David's door, maybe 30 feet from safety. David and I got out and went to the trunk to get his award when a man started to approach us. David noticed him and said, Hey, what's up, man? The man said nothing and kept walking towards us. As he got closer, I could see that he was wearing baggy black sweatpants and a camo hoodie. He had the hood on and the drawstrings were pulled tight, so I could only see about half his face. Both his hands were in the front hoodie pocket. David said again, What's up? This time the man answered, Get up against the car. Confused, I said, Wait, what? The man pulled a gun out of his hoodie pocket. I said get up against the car. David got against the back of the car while the man put the gun against his back. I was in utter shock that this was happening, so I took a step back, now trapped between two cars, a fence, and a man holding a gun to my boyfriend. He told David to give him all the money he had. We both really only used cards and never had cash on us. Unfortunately though, while home for Thanksgiving, his parents had given him $200 in 20s, 
all of which went into the hands of our mugger. Then he turned to me, pointed the gun at my face, less than a foot away, and said, Your turn. I was dressed up and only carrying a small clutch purse. I literally only had a phone and lip gloss on me. I stammered out that I didn't have anything while staring at the gun he pointed at me. He then went back to my boyfriend. At this point, I felt my blood starting to boil. I was becoming less frightened and more angry, outraged that this man was aggressively stealing from two broke college kids. How dare he treat other people like this, I thought. Couldn't he tell that we were coming from an event and he was going to ruin our night? I wanted to kick him with my big clunky heel so badly, but thankfully I realized that that probably would only make him mad. I grabbed my phone, keeping my hand in my purse, and tried to dial 911. Unfortunately, my purse was too small to hide any movement, and I was worried if he saw me trying to call for help, he'd shoot. So I just stood there, staring at the gun being pressed into David's back. Finally, he took David's wallet and car keys and threw them in one direction, ran off in the other, hopping the fence, separating the apartment complex from a small neighborhood. David and I stood in silence for a second, trying to grasp what just happened. We slowly gathered his keys and wallet, then went inside and called the police, definitely in shock. This is where the story gets really interesting. The police had an officer patrolling the other side of the apartment complex. It was a group of 26 buildings. We were in 26. The cop was over near one, because they had gotten a call the previous day about the same guy mugging someone over there. Police and detectives come over and took our story and asked us questions for about an hour. When they left, it was still relatively early, maybe 9 p.m. We were still shaken up, but David and I decided we'd still go to the tacky Christmas party we had planned on attending, thinking it would help us take our mind off this horrible encounter. Our friend was hosting a pregame at his apartment and building three of the same complex. Even though we decided not to drink that night, we headed over after getting into our tacky sweaters. The pregame got a little rowdy and we heard a knock on the door. We opened it to see the person who lives next door to our friend. He said, Hey guys, you might want to keep it down. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I have police and investigators at my apartment right now because I was mugged out here last night. I heard two more people got mugged tonight, so just please be safe. David and I look at each other, then back at him. Oh, hi. That's us. We're the two people that were mugged tonight. Nice to meet you, fellow mugging victim. He laughed and shook our hands. Neighbor and David compared knives that they were now carrying as personal defense weapons before he went back to his place. Later on down the road, David and I had broken up, but the security at the complex was amped up. More lights were installed in the parking lot, and my girlfriend and I moved in. We had to park in the same set of spots where I was held at gunpoint. Probably a stupid way to face your fears, but we didn't have any issues while we lived there. Thankfully. When I was much younger and far less concerned with consequences, I was introduced to a guy through a mutual friend that was well connected. It took me forever to figure out how this guy could stock a veritable roving pharmacy in his vehicle, but at the time I wasn't so much concerned with how, just the when. Like, Hey man, when can I purchase an irresponsible amount of diverted prescription medications from you? 
As I got to know him more, I learned more about a purveyor of happy pills, and he thoroughly threw off a bad vibe. I would do my absolute best to avoid the post-deal hangout, but the guy was clearly and completely socially maladroit. Eventually, Dealer, I'll henceforth refer to him as D, starts attempting to insinuate himself into my group of friends more and more. He would call me constantly, text me like an abandoned Tinder date, and generally harass me to hang out. We would casually drink beer in the backyard of my house, and he'd happen to be in the neighborhood, just like he'd accidentally take a load off and decide to stick around. I am not a complete jerk, so it was difficult to sell someone a clue who doesn't have a proverbial nickel to his name. I specifically remember a night when each of us were recounting macho stories of tussles and scrapes we'd been in, and Dee decided it was his turn to contribute. It went something like this. Oh, that's nothing, man. One time I shot a man in the face with a sawed-off shotgun and beat the rap on a self-defense technicality. We all sort of went slack-jawed at this moment and nodded our heads, mumbling uncomfortably. Uh, wow, uh, pretty cool. <laughs> at that point, I think we all just assumed he was a one-upper and would say whatever to reinforce the tough guy persona he was so desperate to have us believe. I should have realized then that maybe D wasn't exactly an asset to the societal fabric. But, you know, I didn't want to hurt the guy's feelings. Plus... Drugs. A few weeks later into the summer, and some of the boys and I decide to tie one on and head downtown to the clubs. Now I know for a fact that I hadn't committed the felonious sin of imparting knowledge of our physical location to D, but somehow he materialized by my side as I was ordering a drink. Even in my own greatly impaired state, I could tell D was in a knee-walking, gutter-sucking blackout. It took me all of 30 seconds of surveying his slack expression coupled with those glassy black eyes doing the thousand-yard stare to surmise that D was not going to be a fun man to be around on this night. My hypothesis soon proved all too accurate when he began pushing random people on the dance floor, accosting women in front of their respective boyfriends and husbands, all the while fiddling around in his pockets for something. Starting to get why D wasn't a pillar of social proficiency... Eventually, he was ejected from the club, and, as a mission of pure mercy, I went outside to make sure he at least found a cab home. That's when I discovered what D was looking for in his pocket all night. As I walked outside, I could see several bouncers warily surrounding this portly whirling dervish of an idiot as he is brandishing a freaking six-foot serrated fold-out knife at them. I still have no idea what possessed me to step in and corral him, and I still believe that's the only reason I wasn't cut to absolute ribbons is because of the Gumby-like flexibility I'm afforded under the influence of alcohol and prescription medications. I was finally able to convince him into a taxi and send him packing. At this point, I made a firm decision to stop doing drugs and, by proxy, stop seeing D. Ever. I blocked his number and refused to go out. It's lucky that I did, because some months later, he found himself once again in a scuffle at that very same establishment. Only this time, I wasn't there to rescue him. He stabbed a man seven or eight times, and hot-footed it into an alley in some pitiful attempt at an escape. The police didn't have to do much sleuthing, as there were plenty of bystanders willing to point out his location. 
Dee is now in a level four prison and isn't eligible for parole for another decade or so. And I say good. Dee, let's not freaking meet again. I can't remember exactly when this happened, but I think it was March 2019 when I was 17. I quite often get the train into London to visit my boyfriend. I go up on Friday and Saturday and come back Sunday evening. My parents always told me, quite rightly, to try and get an early train home on Sunday in order to avoid traveling late by myself, but me being naive and stupid always accidentally missed the earlier trains in order to spend more time with my boyfriend. This particular Sunday, I was getting a train that got into the station where I lived at around 9 p.m. My station is the last stop on the line and where the train terminates, so by the end of the journey, it is always relatively empty. Sometimes I'm the only one getting off aside from the guard. Usually, I would just put my noise-canceling headphones on, settle down and zone out whatever was happening around me. I'm quite an anxious traveler, so blocking out the sound helps me relax. I also try and sit at the end of the carriage where there aren't as many people as having a lot of people around can make me more susceptible to anxiety attacks. After this evening, I always made sure to sit near people. I'm sitting with my headphones on, tucked away with my suitcase in the footwell of the seat next to me, and a pair of seats next to a window sitting in the window seat, when I notice a man stumble into the seats adjacent to mine across the aisle. He leans across the seats looking directly at me and mumbled something to me. He was wearing all black, a massive black coat and had a big duffel bag. I, a little anxious because I'm not the biggest fan of talking to strangers, take off my headphones and politely ask him to repeat himself. His speech is slurred, making what he is saying completely incoherent, but after he's repeating himself several times I realize he's asking if I know if there are any taxi companies at my station. I say, no, sorry, and put my headphones back on. He leans over again and asks me the same question. I take my headphones off and give him the same reply. No, I don't know of any, sorry. He says something else. I ask him to repeat himself because his speech is so slurred I don't know what he's saying. This strange conversation goes on for about twenty minutes. I can't understand much of what he is saying. He's sort of half mumbling, half speaking, and he's not really making much sense. He keeps asking me how I'm getting home and where I live. I just say by car and don't say anything else about where I live. I'm super nervous now because this guy just gave me the creeps. I had a feeling something bad was going to happen and he is starting to make me uncomfortable. There was just this vibe about him that he was bad news. He then asked me if I'm going to call the police on him. I say no, and he starts mumbling and swearing profusely. He mumbles something about beating my brains in. I'm really starting to freak out now. All of a sudden, he moves across the aisle to sit in the seat next to mine, trapping me in my seat. I cannot escape. I'm sitting next to the window, and he's completely blocking the aisle. I'd have to awkwardly climb over to him to leave. I've decided he must be high or drunk because his eyes look absolutely crazy and his speech is so slurred. He tells me I'm very beautiful and asks if I have a boyfriend, moving closer until I could feel his breath on my face. I look around to see if there is anyone in the carriage with me, but I can't see anyone. He leans in really close and I'm freaking out now. 
But luckily the train guard comes through from the next carriage, sees me looking very scared and comes over to ask if everything is okay. Immediately this guy's demeanor changes. He leans away from me and he waves his hand as if to say nothing is wrong. I say yes, everything is okay, but by the look on my face the guard can tell I'm super uncomfortable. The guard makes small talk with the guy and then moves to stand by the door behind us. I don't know what to do. Even though the guard is behind me, I feel really unsafe and know I have to get away from this man. I asked the guy if he would move back to his seat and say I don't want to talk to him as he's making me uncomfortable. He moves back and starts muttering and swearing again, mumbling half-formed threats under his breath. I call my dad, who's picking me up, and when he answers the phone, I immediately say, Hey, Dad. The guy looks at me and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know you had a dad. He tries to talk to me whilst I'm on the phone. He's talking over me the whole time, but I can't actually make out what he's saying. I have no idea how to try and communicate to my dad that I'm not feeling safe, and this weirdo is talking to me without him overhearing. The train is pulling into the final stop, so I pull my suitcase out of the footwell to try and make a quick exit from the train. The guy gets up really quickly and goes in front of me, and then grabs my suitcase to take it off the train and steal it, presumably. I still had my hand on it and managed to pull it out of his hands. He gets off the train quickly and I stand next to the guard for a couple of minutes because I didn't want to get off the train at the same time as this guy. The guard asks me if I'm okay and I burst into tears. I'm already anxious and tired and this may seem like something insignificant but I suffer with really bad anxiety and it really creeped me out. A lady comes over. I don't know how she knew I was crying about what had just happened with this guy. She must have seen him getting off the train. She says he was asking her about taxis and making her feel uncomfortable until she told him to ask someone else. She apologizes for sending him my way. They both offer to walk me to my car. Luckily, my dad is sitting in the parking lot and I get in the car safe and sound. There's no sign of where the guy on the train went. And I wish the story stopped here. We make a stop at a small supermarket on the way home and... Usually my dad would send me to get whatever we needed, but because I'm still feeling upset from the train, I sit in the car in the deserted parking lot. As soon as my dad enters the supermarket, a car pulls up on the other side of the lot. I see the same guy from the train in the passenger seat, and my blood runs cold. The car he's in isn't a taxi either, which I found strange as that's what he originally was asking me about. I sink down into the seat a bit, hoping he doesn't see me, but it's like he already knows I'm in the car. He starts pointing at me and talking to the driver. They get out of the car and start walking through the lot towards my car. I immediately lock the doors. My phone is in my bag, which is in the boot, so all I can do is sit there and pray my dad is going to come back at any moment. They've nearly made it to the car when my dad gets back. He was only going in for bread. They see him and start walking immediately in the other direction towards the supermarket. I yell at my dad to get in the car. I'm crying so hard and by the time my dad has gotten to the driver's seat, the men are nowhere to be seen. I manage to calm down enough to tell my dad between sobs about how the guy from the train was in the parking lot in a car with someone and that they were walking towards me. I point at the car they were in and my dad doesn't say much and just starts driving home. When we got home, and my mom has managed to calm me down a bit, 
My dad tells me he noticed the same car driving behind us when we left the station, meaning they must have followed us from the station to the supermarket. I felt really embarrassed, like I was overreacting and making a fuss over nothing because I'm just oversensitive with bad anxiety. When the guys started talking to me on the train, I felt physically sick and just had this overwhelming feeling something bad was going to happen. Even though I have anxiety, I usually don't get these feelings just from talking to a stranger. This happened a little before my 20th birthday, so about four to five months ago. It was about 5 p.m. and I was waiting for a friend at a bar and he was running a little late. So I went ahead and got my first drink while waiting. As I was sitting at the bar, a guy came up and started talking to me. Definitely nothing to worry about yet. It was a bar and he definitely seemed like he was just trying to pick me up. We had a light conversation. He offered to buy me a drink and I accepted. He called the bartender and I ordered. We talked a little more and exchanged numbers. I told him I was waiting for a friend and he asked if she was as pretty and unique as me. Being an alternative girl, guys never really know how to compliment. I laughed and said, no, he is definitely prettier and with almost perfect timing my friend messaged me that he was there but couldn't see me. I told him I was sitting at the end corner of the bar and he came and found me. I gave my friend a hug and introduced the two. The guy started to act a little strange now saying that he didn't want to interrupt our night and being kind of standoffish. He said he had to go and just up and left. I wondered if maybe he was intimidated by my friend because he's like 6'4 but like lanky so probably not. I had his number and thought I'd message him tomorrow. I had a nice night with my friend and we had some drinks and then went and got food and more drinks. It was about 11-ish and time to say goodbye, so we walked to the train station because we live in different areas, took different trains. His train showed up before mine and we said our final goodbye as I waved him off. I had another 10 or so minutes before my train, so I just took out my phone and browsed my socials. This is when I got that feeling of being watched. I looked around and see no one looking at me and since I was in the city, even though it was kind of late, people were still about. So, I went back to browsing and had someone sit down next to me. Thought it was you, the voice said. I looked up and was surprised to see the guy from the bar. I asked if he was also heading home. He said he was and that he needed to feed his cat. As a cat person, I asked more about that and he showed me pictures. He asked if I wanted to come home with him and see her. I told him maybe some other time and he was pretty insistent but I still refused. My train was coming and I stood to go wait for it as I was about to turn and say goodbye, he was standing as well. He said he was taking the same train and at this point I was a little suspicious but it was a main train so we got on and I sat down and again he sat next to me. I had to get off in two stops then, get on another train for another two stops and he also got off at the same stop and on the same train again, the whole time having normal conversation with me. Obviously, I was freaking out a little, so I messaged my housemate and asked him to wait for me at the station. Luckily, him and his missus were still up. He asked why, and I told him to just do it. When we got off at the station, that was only a short walk to my apartment, I said it was a funny coincidence that he also lived around here. He turned to me and said, No, you're taking me to your place. 
I apologize if he had misunderstood me, but I never said anything like that. He said that he was already all this way and that I should just let him come over. Like he was ordering me around. It all just felt gross. At this point, I was in full panic mode. There weren't that many people at this stop as we are in a suburban neighborhood now. This is probably when I looked noticeably panicked and my housemate saw this and came out of the car. He's 29 and quite a big guy. He came over and asked if there was a problem. The guy said that he was my date and that I was taking him home. I said that was a lie and my housemate just walked me to the car and mean mugged the guy the whole time. Sitting in the car I got a text. It said, I'll see you again. I had totally forgotten I gave him my number. I looked up to see him still standing at the station. We locked eyes and he smiled and waved. It wasn't a creepy smile. It looked nice and genuine and I think that's what made it creepier. I purposely avoid that bar from now on. I met him in high school because we rode the same school bus. I was a freshman who was new to the area and he was a sophomore. He would get off the bus three stops before me. After a month he started sitting in the seat behind my usual spot on the bus and then would get off at the same stop as me. The first time it happened I think it was weird but figured maybe he had a friend in the area. I never made contact with him and just walked home. It happened several times after and I had an eerie feeling he might be following me and that's why he sat behind me on the bus so I wouldn't suspect him. But I soothed my worries again with the thought. He might have a friend that lives down here and maybe he didn't want to walk as far so he got off at my stop. I did turn back once to see where he went after he got off the bus but never saw him. It was like he disappeared. He started showing direct interest in me in the hallways. Somehow without us being in any classes together, he learned my name. He would say hi to me by name in the hallways as I'd pass by and he would always wave. I never stopped walking to have a chat with him and I found the interaction rather odd because he always did this when he saw me. Even if he already said hi to me that day, it was always the same words. Hello, say my name and then wave. I typically wave back to be polite during these brief encounters, but after a few weeks of that happening, it seemed really weird. I asked my brother about him as they were in the same grade and he told me his real name, but he said he goes by the name Goggles because he wore these thick Coke bottle glasses. He also confirmed my thought that Goggles had some strange fascination with me. I figured he had a crush on me, but I wasn't attracted to him at all. I really wanted nothing to do with him, but did maintain my politeness of waving hi to him in the mornings. Then something really creepy happened. One day he showed up to my house, on a weekend, unexpectedly. He rang the bell and my mom let him in when he asked for me. She yelled for me that I had a friend stop by and when I saw him at the bottom of the staircase in the entryway of my house, I freaked out inside. I greeted him and asked him what he was doing here. He said he wanted to hang out and then he proceeded to ask my mom if we could hang out at his house. I was still upstairs and absolutely baffled by how he was actually inside my house that I didn't have time to think of an excuse of what I was busy doing. My mom, who was extremely excited I had a friend since I was new to the area, quickly gave him permission to hang out with me and usher me to come downstairs. I ended up leaving with him. I thought, if anything, 
I'd have a chance to clear the air with him and see what his deal was. We started to walk, and I asked him how he knew where I lived. He said from riding the bus he saw me coming home one day. He said I always seemed really nice, so he wanted to get to know me. I talked about how I was new to the area and what I thought of the school. I asked him what he planned for us to do at his house. He said he didn't really have a plan, but he made sure to tell me his parents weren't home. I expressed how I was confused by why he told my mom we were friends when we barely know each other. He said, don't you want to be friends? I didn't know how to answer that truthfully without sounding rude, so I said, yeah, instead. We got to his parents' house and I felt really awkward but went inside. The place was barren, almost like no one even lived there. No couch, no TV. I asked for a second time what he wanted to do. He didn't come up with an answer, again, besides hang out. The truth finally poured out, and I told him I felt unsure about this whole thing and said I didn't understand why he wanted to hang out at his house if there wasn't a plan. I told him I didn't want to hang out that day and that I better go home. I let myself out in a hurry and basically ran home. I never said anything to my mom about that day. I really don't know what his true intentions were. So as the months go by, I don't make eye contact with him on the bus. I do, however, make sure he gets off the bus at his stop and isn't following me home. He even stops saying hi and waving to me in the hallways for a while. The school year ends. My sophomore year starts and he's saying hi and waving to me again in the hallways every time we pass each other by. Sometimes I wave back and sometimes I pretend not to notice. I feel very annoyed when he does this multiple times in the day, so I go out of my way to find a new route to my next class so he won't see me. My brother gets his license, so we never have to take the bus again. My junior year, Goggles is still waving and saying hi with each sight of me. I'm very fed up at this point and always ignore him and never wave back or say hi. I did see him once in the computer lab prior to my graphic design class starting. I sat down at my assigned computer and he said he found my MySpace and he confessed he was looking at my pictures all night long. I get red in the face and don't know what to say. He tells me we should hang out again and that it was fun the last time we did. A few of my peers from my class overhear this and make comments on what he was doing with my pictures that night. Ew. I avoid him like the plague the remainder of the year. He graduated after my junior year was completed, thankfully. I move about 20 minutes away at the start of senior year and start working at the local movie theater. And that's where he finds me next. He comes in with his mom and I'm at the concession stand and have to wait on them. They make weekly trips to the theater and always get in my line for concessions. We make no small talk during these interactions, but I understand. Why do they always choose my line? He starts to frequent the movies alone and try to talk to me at the concession stand on slow nights. For a while, he was there twice a week. I started calling, telling my coworkers that he's my stalker. Someone tells me they heard a coworker of ours give him detailed information on my typical work schedule. I was mad and stopped being friends with that coworker immediately. She then gives him my cell number out of spite. Meanwhile, every time I see him come to the concession stand, I try to hide in the back room to avoid him. I start to get calls every night from the same number. The caller wouldn't typically leave messages or anything. However, there was one really creepy message of some heavy breathing that was left. I asked my dad to help me block that number. We went to the cell provider and they said, I can't block one number. It's either block all numbers or none at all. So, I don't do anything. Dad doesn't want to change my cell phone number. So, I graduate. 
Haven't had any interaction with Goggles since I started to hide from him at my job and the random calls became less frequent. Until I went to Wendy's with my friend and them wearing a miniskirt and tank top. We get behind the first customer in line who is paying all in change and I realize it's him. I freak out inside and whisper to my friend that it's my stalker and I hope he doesn't notice me. Of course he notices me as soon as he turns around. He checks me out and asks, Hey, did you go to this high school? My friend stupidly says, Yeah, we did. He then asks for me by name and my friend says, Yeah, that's her. I wanted to smack my friend for saying this to him. He says to me that I look really good and asks if he could sit with us when we get our food. I quickly tell him no. He then goes to find a seat and we order. I want to leave ASAP at this point. My friend wants to eat there and she won't leave with me. So we sit down and Goggles changes chairs to sit at the table right next to ours. I ate quickly and in silence and it was so awkward. He kept asking where I was living now as he saw I no longer lived in my old house. I didn't tell him anything and said he didn't need to know. I see him the next time at the local grocery store. He's retrieving carts from the lot. I had no idea he worked there, but when I saw him I ran inside as quickly as I could hoping he wouldn't see me. And you know what? He did. He stopped retrieving carts to follow me from the parking lot into the store referred to me as Miss and asked me in two different aisles if he could help me find anything. I told him no both times. When I was ready to check out, he opened up his own cashier lane and another worker ushered me over to him. I said to him he didn't need to follow me around the store or open up a lane for me, but he said he wanted to help me and that we should hang out sometime. I told him he needs to leave me alone. I am attending community college and guess who is also there? Goggles. I notice him following me on routes to my class, and he starts waiting outside the art class from a in for me to leave to follow me again. One day, I'm waiting on getting coffee from the vending machine, and he runs up to me and greets me like I'm his long-lost friend. He gives me a tight, long hug in the hallway. I'm mortified, and I'm standing there with arms flat at my side, not hugging back. He finishes the hug, and I say, Was that necessary? Don't ever touch me again. I ended up dropping that class to avoid him and file a police report. This is the last time I saw him. I've since moved multiple times and I think he finally got the hint. I don't ever know why he chased me or followed me for so long. Maybe I was just too nice. This happened about a year and a half ago, so there was this parkway that I used to always drive to. It was just a single road that went up a mountain with quite a few pull-offs where you could see these beautiful views. This one specific pull-off is one that I would go to the most. It was a place where you had to go through some trees but would end up on a rock that looked over a huge mountain view. I would go to this when I felt like I needed to breathe and take a break from life. It took me about 20 minutes to drive to that specific spot after entering the park itself. So one day I decided that I needed to just let myself breathe and drove up. All was normal. It was actually a pretty day with the bright skies and puffy clouds around maybe 3 p.m. On the way driving to the spot, I passed quite a few cars. Not many. It was normal to see cars, but not a lot when it's the middle of a weekday. I got to my spot, relaxed for maybe 20 to 30 minutes 
then decided that helped, but was time to head down. Pretty sure my boyfriend was about to get off work. So I start heading down, and maybe at about five or ten minutes into it, I see a red car parked on the side of the road with its hazards on. I right away remember seeing that car on the way up, but didn't think anything of it. Maybe they just heard or saw something and needed to check out their car. I, though, did not pull over to check if they needed help. Like I'm a good person and all, but I've heard all the stories. I'm just keep driving. I also know that it's in the middle of the day, but I just honestly think I wouldn't be able to help them even if I wanted to. And this is when it got weird. Right, and I mean right when I passed them. They turned off the hazard lights and got behind me. Still at this moment, no red flags are going off. Maybe they figured out the problem was just waiting for me to pass to get back on the road. The only thing is, at this point, they were really riding my bumper. Like it didn't matter how much I sped up, they were right there with me. At this point, I look at my phone to realize my boyfriend has texted me. Obviously, I'm not going to text and drive. I'm on a swervy mountain and a car that is not letting me be, so I make a plan. I will quickly get off into a pull-off to text him back, and if this car does decide to follow me, I'll get back onto the road and won't stop. I was thinking rational, but was paranoid at the same time. I'm driving at least 60 miles per hour down this road. Speed limit was like 45, and the first pull-off I see, I quickly turn on my blinker and turn really fast into it. Wasn't smart, but didn't know what else to do. But thank God the guy actually didn't turn into the pull-off with me. I take a sigh of relief and concluded that I was overreacting. So I thought. I text my boyfriend back, sit there for another five or more minutes just to make sure the car would be out of the park by now before continuing back down. So I'm literally about to be at the end of the park before I have to turn onto the highway to head back to my town. I see the now leaving sign, but that's not the only thing I see. Right on the side of the road, the same car was parked. At this point, I now knew something for a fact wasn't right, and again, right when I passed them, they pulled out right behind me. Oh no. I raced my car as fast as I could to the highway, barely stopped to make sure cars weren't coming. I just pulled my car out as fast as I could, left onto that highway. I looked to see in my rearview mirror, and they did the same thing. They're still right behind me. It wasn't even a question anymore of are they following me. It's how do I lose them to stop following me. So I did what any sane person would do. I sped like an insane person. They were behind me for probably another three more minutes before I started going into and out of cars to lose him. It worked, and at this point I think they slowed down because they realized they couldn't have done anything anymore with how many people were around now. I knew I felt bad for the way I was driving around, but I was too scared to think what to do otherwise. Look, this could have been just someone trying to play around and scare me, but... All I need to say is it worked.